right. Welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny and I'm joined this week as always by my co-host Brian Wells. In this week's episode, we'll start off by talking a little about the Tokyo 2020 Summer Olympics, give our thoughts on some of the action that's gone over there the past couple weeks, before talking NFL training camp. With that well underway at this point, Hall of Fame game set to kick off later this week. We'll talk about some of the biggest storylines, most notably Aaron Rodgers reporting to Packers camp with a restructured deal and Carson Wentz's recent foot injury. We'll also talk about the start of NBA free agency. We'll talk about some of the biggest moves from the past 24 hours, particularly with the Los Angeles Lakers, and give our thoughts on how some of these deals could shape the 2021-22 NBA season. We'll also talk about the MLB trade deadline, which was last week. We'll give our thoughts on some of the biggest blockbuster moves, the Chicago Cubs fire sale, what the Red Sox and Pirates did, and of course, our biggest winners and losers of the deadline. Finally, we'll wrap things up with five questions on Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC, Cleveland changing its baseball name to the Guardians, National Underwear Day, and more. So with that, let's get started. We said that we were going to record an episode last week, and we didn't, Um, but Brian, I think that it was better waiting until this week to start recording. Oh, for sure. No question. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on. uh, Instead of, you know, doing predictions and a lot of what ifs, we can actually talk about stuff that happened, like NBA free agency underway, the LB trade deadline, and more. But before we get into any of that, there's a big sports event going on that's captivating people throughout the world, of course, the Tokyo Olympics. And I know we've talked in the past about how we don't really care about the Olympics, but we are a sports podcast. So I do feel like we have to at least mention that they're going on and uh, give some thoughts on them. So I guess the first thing I want to talk about is the U.S. women's national soccer team loses to Canada in the semifinals. And I, I'll never fully understand why so many Americans think that they're great patriots by rooting against an American team. Like it it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. (laughs) I don't know. I think it's just, it's just so weird. Like I get the idea of like maybe not caring about them and you know not agreeing with some of their but politics not, but and rooting stuff. against them yeah not- actively like rooting for canada like because first of all like canada is far more left wing than most of these players so like that doesn't make any sense um would you say it's silly to root against serena williams because like in the in wimbledon i like i root for an upset even though she's the american and whoever she's facing is usually someone from another country is that bad so 
when I think of individuals competing at events like that, I don't know if it's as big of a deal because to me, it's, you're not like you're, I guess she's an American in the same sense that a lot of golfers are American or whoever, but like, I don't think it matters a ton. But if we're talking like in the Olympics, rooting against Serena Williams, seems that's the closest because she's exam- actually competing for a gold medal. That's the closest, closest example I can think of in terms of rooting for another country over our own country an individual though and it's nothing i don't something no, i don't like it's not like novak Djokovic, where i i, I i'm fine with <laughs> serena it's just that she's just so good that i'd rather it's nice to see an upset well speaking of novak Djokovic, he was upset he lost in the semifinals of the men's tennis tournament he didn't even medal after losing in the third place match the gold ended up going to alexander zverev of belgium who beat Djokovic in the semifinals and Djokovic also had a bit of a temper tantrum in his match not a big tournament for him he uh, had a chance to win the golden slam after winning the past three grand slam titles with the U.S. Open still to come I'm glad he's not gonna get the golden slam but I feel like this gives him even more incentive to go out and win the U.S. Open and win the grand slam which in the grand scheme of things matters just it matters way more to win a grand slam event than an Olympic three grand slams and a, an Olympic gold. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the way that I'm looking at it is that it's nice that he's not going to win all five, but I feel like he's just going to win the four that matter the most anyway. Exactly. So for golf, Xander Schofle never won a major, but he wins a gold medal for the U S. Yeah, that was nice. I, I like Xander. He's a, he's a good guy. And I, I, I thought he was my pick to win the open, which sucks. Oh, really? he, he doesn't even come close to winning. He finished like in the top like twenty or thirty, something like that. Um, but yeah, so happy for him. And but unfortunately for Sibu Kim and Sung J M, they didn't even come close to meddling, which sucks for them because they are inching closer to having to go through the military in their respective country, which is just South Korea. It just just it just sucks for them. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. You know, going into an Olympics to win a medal, not just to win a medal, but to avoid medal. Oh, I, un- I understand well. why they didn't come close because uh-huh. there was way more pressure on them to finish uh, up in the top three than other other players. I guess I guess Matsuyama would be the only guy I would put in that category because he was trying to win for his country in Japan, even though he already won a Masters this year. I'd imagine there was pressure on him to win the. Uh, to medal as well, just the fact that it was in Japan. Yeah, he he did come close to getting the bronze. Rory Sabatini ended up winning the silver for Slovakia. Yeah. I had no idea that there was a great Slovakian in golf, and then I realized that oh, Rory Sabatini or another or another actually... great or well, not great golfer, but another golfer with the name Rory as well. Yeah, well, I have heard of Rory Sabatini before, and I was surprised when I saw he was Slovakian, and then I looked it up, and oh, turns out he's South African. Just his mm-hmm. wife is Slovakian, his right. stepson is Slovakian, and he was somehow able to convince the like Slovakian Golf Federation, whatever they're called, that he could compete in Slovakia, you know, in the Olympics. And I was confused by that as well. He, yeah, so they they said it was not because of uh you know being able to qualify for the olympics just to try to grow the game in slovakia well had he stayed competing under south africa he wouldn't have even qualified for the olympics the only reason why he got in is because of his loose ties to slovakia but he ended up winning the silver medal so i think it, it was worth it and there are that several he to be there there are several south africans 
actually in the the uh, golf Olympic tournament. Which makes sense because you only have four per country. So yeah. Sabatini would not have been in the the top four South Africans. I think he's like two hundred one in the world. So not surprising when he was ranked that low. And then Matsuyama was part of like a seven way tie for yeah, there the bronze medal. There was a crazy medal. playoff. Yeah. Between yeah, like you said, seven other guys and. Morikawa was close. For, yeah, for he almost wound up winning. I think yeah. he technically came in fourth when you uh, go down to the playoff because he was down to the final two. Yeah, and then C.T. Pan was the one that got the bronze. So good for him. Yeah, you know, exciting to have golf back at the Olympics, even though it doesn't matter a ton. Uh, it's still cool, and I'm glad that USA and Slovakia end up winning the gold and silver, uh, if nothing else. So another point that i want to make one of my favorite sports to watch in the olympics is beach volleyball i don't know if i deserve a bonk for that but i've always loved watching it like it's i don't know i love volleyball i love playing volleyball on the beach and i i guess maybe that's what draws me to it i i think it was more exciting when you had uh carrie walsh jennings and missy may trainer dominating competition the i did watch uh the U.S. women fall to Canada in the round of 16. Not as uh, fun for our country, but still, it's it's a fun one to watch. So, um, I, I remember one. I don't know if it was four, well, five years ago or nine years ago, but I remember watching women's volleyball once, and I think it was the players that you mentioned. Who yeah, was I mean, they were the two best in the world. They won yeah. gold every year. I I just remember well, one four years. specific match where it was just constant back and forth, and I think they lost, but it was like. Uh, one of the best volleyball matches I've ever seen because I don't watch volleyball really at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, no, it's but su- the- super entertaining, and it's so much more fun when it, they're out on a beach like that instead of playing in a gym. I just always find it way more yeah, entertaining. Yeah, I, I, actually, I actually do agree. I don't know how to explain it, but I actually do agree with that, that I prefer the, the beach volleyball over the the ones in the arena or the gym or whatever yeah i mean i might my only explanation would be the only time i ever play volleyball is if i'm outside at the beach or you know in a similar like on a volleyball court outdoors at a pool that's the only time so i guess that's the most relatable to me but that's my only explanation i don't even know if that makes i don't even have one explanation so i'll just go with that as well all right and then uh my last point so caleb dresser he's dominant in the olympics uh swimming for men's like next Michael Phelps. Um, But my bigger point I have to say about swimming, I watched the 1500 meter race and that's just way too much swimming. So an Olympic size swimming pool, it's 50 meters there and back. So 1500 meters, it's 30 links. They're just going back and forth 30 times. It's near a mile. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's almost a mile. It's a hundred meters short of a mile of swimming. I think the winner one in like 14 minutes so it's just 14 minute race of swimming yeah, that's ridiculous you know that a race is too long when they have to have multiple picture in picture ads come up you know we're in the middle of the race these guys have like 17 links to go oh let's cut to leave schreiber advertising for mattress firm over here which uh, first of all that commercial i don't know if you've seen it but it it, it gives me vibes of like a matthew mcconaughey lincoln navigator commercial yet it's advertising mattresses so the only reason why I knew it was a mattress commercial is you have mattress firm, it, like the logo was on it during the broadcast. But I was like, how does this have anything to do with mattresses? I rewatched it. I also watched it um, on mute. So that was maybe part of it. And they were talking about like junk sleep. There was scenes where he was like on a highway on a bed. So I guess it's, I don't know. It's a weird I used commercial, to be, but I used to be really into the, 
into swimming during the Beijing Olympics when Phelps was at the top oh, yeah, of the game. That, I don't, that was like the best. I don't know why, but it. it was watching him was it was very captivating. I I don't know. I want I went out of my way to tune in to see how he did. Whether if, even if he was in a relay, I don't I don't know why. Just because he was just that good, but that's when he, I was really into it. But other than that, I I'm definitely not an Olympics guy. See, he was so entertaining then. Well, it was, you had him, and then you had Usain and, Bolt. And then Ryan Lochte as well. Yeah, well, Ryan Lochte, that's that's a different story. Also, I, I said Caleb Dresser. It's Caleb Dressel. I got to give some respect to him. He's the new guy with Phelps, where it's just every time he goes out, he's not just competing for gold. He's trying to break an Olympic or a world record. And he did break a lot of Olympic records. He's just been pretty dominant this year. So... Uh, he's definitely been made swimming entertaining having someone. Katie Ledecky as well has been awesome. She has some competition from uh, someone from Australia, but she still managed to pull out a few medals here in Tokyo. So that's all I have for the Olympics. Uh, I mean, I guess like the last thing to say is like I'm just I'm I'm ready to n- not constantly have to see people argue about Simone Biles anymore yeah, like I'm, both I'm sides of it it's just it's just annoying everyone has to have a take on it all these people like calling her like soft and stuff yeah, and first I mean, of all I... you're not even watching you don't care and second of all you're nowhere near as talented as she is like you're not doing anything close to what she can do and then all the people who have to go out and defend her constantly and they're like they're just like paragraph posts all over social media I'm just I'm just tired yeah of my, my biggest take on the Simone Biles thing is that both sides just look bad. I mean, just, it's I, annoying. I, I, I mean, see, I can agree to an extent with both sides, but at the same time, it it's ridiculous. Both, I I hate, I hate the people that built her up as you know my favorite term, the goat, and then all of a sudden she withdraws from her event for mental is- health issues, and then people say, oh well mental health you got to put that first uh, you know she's a hero like they're calling her a hero like get out of here she's an I, entertainer like, it doesn't yeah. matter what athlete every all athletes are entertainers none of them are heroes which so is maybe men- a little too strong but yeah mental health is a serious thing it doesn't matter how much money you have how famous you are like athletes going to be affected by it and if she really has the twisties and she's going to hurt herself competing that makes total and sense and that's but another that's another thing i don't think thing. that they delivered what was actually happening in the best way going from leg injury to mental health issues to no she has the twisties and when you hear about that i think that totally explains it but i, I think that the way that they handled it and then having her just like, instead of saying, hey, I'm going to take it day by day, just be like, I'm just not going to compete. And then all of a sudden she comes back and competes in the beam. So I just think that it, it it wasn't handled very well, whether it was on her end, USAG, which look, I think we all know that USA Gymnastics organization as a whole is not great. You know, all you have to do is uh, think back a few years. I don't really want to bring up his name because he doesn't deserve that. But there's plenty of reasons to understand what's happening there and why they're really bad. But it's... Uh, uh, it's just led to so many takes, and I, I agree with you. It's it's very annoying just constantly hearing about it, and I'm, I'm just ready to not I, anymore. I, I just hate both sides of it, how people have gone as far as the defender calling her a hero, which is ridiculous. But then I also hate the other side of, oh, well, she's just a quitter. I mean, I mean yeah, if you have a mental blockage or whatever you want to call it, uh, the twisties, for lack of a better word, I mean... If if you have those problems in basketball, it's like all right, well you're missing a bunch of jump shots, you're you're missing guys on defense, but in gymnastics, if you if you mess up even a little, you could seriously hurt yourself too. So I I just hate both sides of it. 
I, I do think that Simone Biles is a GOAT based on what she's accomplished at this point. I don't think her you know, sitting out some of these events changes that. I do wish she could have helped us win some more medals and you know not let them go to the ROC, the the fake Russian Olympic team. But uh, yeah, I mean, I you know that's that's all I kind of want to say at this point. And I I do hope that we can still see her compete again. She's already twenty four. I don't know. It's I feel like twenty eight is too old to be a an Olympic gymnast. So I'm not sure if she's or I guess twenty seven and twenty twenty four. But I'm not sure. Yeah, I think if late twenty be able to compete for gymnastics is actually she was which is crazy in 2012 when yeah, she was which first crazy is that everybody. late 20s is old for right? for athletes or for gymnastics I know, for gymnastics Gymnast. yeah yeah yep yep so all right that'll wrap up the olympics talk let's uh let's get into some nfl training camp and of course one of the biggest stories of the entire off season that kind of has reached closure but still far from it Aaron Rodgers, he did end up reporting to Packers camp. He ended up restructuring his deal, which basically he, him and Devontae Adams are going to have their one last dance this year, and then he can uh, either you know demand a trade or at least he just have the one year 2022, and then he becomes a free agent again. So what are your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers at this point? Were you expecting him to show up and ultimately play for the Packers this whole time? If you ask me that question in April, I would have said no. I would have said he would have been traded or even retirement, as crazy as that sounds. But if you asked me that question a week before he actually made his decision, I would have. I was leaning towards he's coming back, just because it nothing was happening, and I feel like it was just bound to happen that Rogers was going to come back. So I'll admit I changed my thoughts on it as time went on, and. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Rodgers and and I guess Devontae Adams a little are both kind of drama queens. <laughs> They're both kind of divas in a way. But I, at the same time, I do kind of understand Rodgers from uh, his standpoint on wanting to be a more, you know, being more conversations when it comes to making moves or cutting guys or picking up guys. I, I kind of understand uh, his side of it as well. I mean, he talked about Jay Kumaro and him getting cut out of nowhere and not bringing guys back that he liked, high character guys. I mean, when you're when you're a quarterback, the most important position in sports, and when you're Aaron Rodgers, who's been the quarterback for the Packers for 13 years now, I do, I do kind of agree with him that hey, like I, he should have a bigger say in in, in bringing in guys. So I can understand his frustration a little. I think it's pretty clear that the Packers have mismanaged a lot of things throughout Rodgers' career. I know that this is a team that has won a Super Bowl. They've made it to several NFC Championship games, but you would think that Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers should have been able to win at least multiple Super Bowls or make it to multiple Super Bowls at the very least. So it's very understandable why Rodgers would be frustrated and why he would kind of reach a boiling point especially watching Tom Brady beat him in the NFC Championship game yeah, when that, Brady that's a just big... assembled a roster himself basically Tom Brady is a big reason why I feel like he's he's done all this this offseason he sees a guy in Tom Brady who had all the success he had in New England and then one year into his non-New England Patriot football career he goes out and wins the Super Bowl and a lot of it had to do with not just Tom Brady on the field, but also picking up certain guys like Rob Gronkowski or Leonard Fournette or Antonio Brown. And I, I imagine Brady had a lot of say 
in those moves. He certainly did. And I understand Rodgers wanting to have equal say. Ultimately, I, I never really believed that the Packers would end up trading him. You know, maybe it felt like it back in April, but I think once the draft passed, it seemed like it was like I know he said he wouldn't play there, but it seemed like it was less and less likely as time yeah, that's, went on. Yeah, that's why I said in April. That's why I said if you asked me that in April, I would have said, "Oh yeah, he's he's not playing for the Packers again." But then, well, by, that being by said, by the end like, of July, it's like, yeah, he's probably gonna. I didn't stay. think he would play for anyone this year. I thought he would basically take like a one year retirement and then go back next year and say, "All right, do something, Green Bay." And at that point, the Packers would have probably been ready to move on to Jordan Love, and you know they would have given him the uh, Brett Favre treatment, where it's like, "Okay, well, we're done. We'll trade you somewhere now," and. That was also kind of what I was rooting for because I liked, or I loved the idea of Aaron Rodgers being the Steelers quarterback next season. It wasn't going to happen this year, but next year when the Steelers have a ton of cap space, um, it was certainly a possibility, which I don't think that will happen regardless. But I do expect this to be Aaron Rodgers' last season in Green Bay unless the Packers go to the Super Bowl. I think anything yeah, short of that. He's gonna be like, all right, this was a failure. I'm ready to go somewhere maybe, else. Maybe not even just the Super Bowl, winning it. See, that's the one thing where I'm like, if they go to the Super Bowl and lose, I think that's kind of different, just because they haven't just been there haven't since been in, 2010. Yeah, Eleven years, and yeah, they make the next the next one. Yeah, yeah, that's kind years. of that's kind of what my thought is on that. Um, but yeah, I could certainly see him losing a Super Bowl and saying, "All right, now this is it." He said, "This is the last dance." Uh, you know, just based on his Instagram story, but. I I do think that it's the Packers me under a ton of pressure this year now to succeed and and that was the same case last year they were well. last year and yeah Aaron Rodgers came out he played like an MVP in the team they still fell short and I I still expect the Packers to be right there in terms of like top teams in the NFC uh, yeah, it, it would not it bucks, be surprised at all for them bucks, to be Packers home field Rams. advantage yeah they're they're gonna be absolutely up there you know the NFC North after Green Bay the their opponents are not very strong no. so there's uh there's plenty of reason to still be high on the Packers this year but there's also reasons to kind of question it just given the way that Aaron Rodgers handled this offseason and it's just a matter of what, what we're actually going to see from him when those games start when the season comes along and if yeah. there are struggles I, I don't know how he's going to react to that that's how I feel about the Packers every year like, I don't I have I yeah. don't have any doubts of them winning the division it's just can they get get over the hump and actually win an NFC championship game uh, every time around. So Aaron Rodgers is not the only significant quarterback news. Really, there's a lot of quarterbacks that are making headlines, but the one that we want to talk about that's most recently making headlines is Carson Wentz of the Annapolis Colts, who uh, I guess is going to have foot surgery based on injury problems he had last season in Philadelphia. And he'll be out five to 12 weeks, which means he <laughs> which might play the, week one or he'll miss half the season, which is the most ridiculous timeline ever. Yeah. Even Mike, so, even Mike, I had the same reaction as Mike Vrabel. Whoa, five to 12 weeks. So you're, <laughs> you have a good chance of getting that correct then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, given that, what do you think the Colts should do at this point in terms of uh, addressing the quarterback situation? I would trade for. Garoppolo, maybe. I mean, it just I would trade for a quarterback. You would trade but, for a guy. Yeah, I would definitely trade for a guy. I wouldn't believe in. Is it Eason? 
Yeah, Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason. Yeah, he's gonna I, be a second-year quarterback out of Washington. Yeah, I have. I wouldn't have any confidence in putting him as the QB one at this point, especially since Wentz his injury came in August and not like back in May or June or whatever. It, it's a month away from the season, so yeah, I would. I would definitely trade for someone. I don't know who. I don't know if it's Garoppolo or Nick Foles or whatever or Minshew. Garoppolo is the first guy that came to mind. I like the idea of the Colts trading for Nick Foles for a few reasons. Uh, oh, yeah. One because... is the connection to Frank Reich, and then two is to back up Carson Wentz. We all know <laughs> how, how successful that was when Philadelphia tried it. So how about you completely mimic everything, Frank Reich, Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, get the whole band together and uh, see what happens because the Colts are – by all accounts, a quarterback away from being Super Bowl contenders, just given how great the roster is around them. So I don't know that Carson Wentz to Jacob Eason is really a huge drop-off, just given I don't know how how high we should feel on Carson Wentz. But if you throw Nick Foles in there, it, it feels like that could maybe piece something together that can put Especially together since a they, great team. They, of course, both worked with Frank Reich. I mean, exactly. And, and that, that Carson was Wentz was an appeal. MVP that uh-huh. year with Frank Reich's yeah. last year and Nick Foles was Super Bowl MVP well Carson Wentz a near MVP he he would have if he didn't get injured and of course Nick Foles came in and you know picked up where Wentz left off and won a bunch of huge playoff games including a Super Bowl so I think that Foles would be a great fit regardless of whether Wentz is el- like you know healthy enough to play week one which I think acquiring Foles puts less pressure on the Colts to rush back Wentz, knowing that Foles can hold his own for a few starts before he inevitably falls off and Wentz needs to come in and try to save the day. But just the fact that I don't know that you can really feel a lot of trust in Jacob Eason. You know, if the Colts really think that, hey, he can come in and not just be a week one starter, but start multiple games and keep us afloat, then that's one thing. And I guess maybe that's their mindset with them not wanting to rush to acquire a quarterback, knowing that Wentz could play week one, even though we might not see him to week nine. I I would leave with the latter, though, when it's the five to 12 week timeline, just given Wentz's injury. I agree. Exactly. And that's the thing is maybe you rush him back and then he gets hurt again. So I think the Colts. It would serve them well to, at the very least, have a viable backup option in case Wentz can't stay as healthy as they want him to. But at the most, you're getting a guy who you can feel comfortable starting multiple games this season. And then whenever Wentz is ready to go, rather than rushing him back early, Wentz can come in and, in theory, if he's healthy, he can continue to to help this Colts team not just get back to the playoffs, but potentially to the Super Bowl if all goes right. I, I kind of feel bad for Carson Wentz a little. Even, I do I mean, too. He's made, I was he's made of that. glass bones and paper skin. Uh-huh. But, but, I mean, he got injured. To quote Allen Iverson, we're talking about practice, not a game. Well, no. So he, didn't he technically get injured last year? And it just, it just got worse that, in practice. Yeah, right? maybe, I think that, that's maybe that's true, it but it's, it's still just the fact no, I, that it got reported. Yes. I, yeah, I get it, how it all played out. Yeah. yeah. I think it's it's really unfortunate for once. You know, at the same time, he got so much money from the Eagles. So it's like, it's hard to totally feel bad exactly, because yeah. he's not like, oh, like he's, uh, you know, made $100 million. How, who cares? But the fact that he was able to get that bag from Philly and end up making most of that before being traded away to the Colts, like he's, he's made well enough out of his career. But it is unfortunate because he was playing at an MVP level before he tore his ACL in 2017. It felt like he was going to be that next superstar quarterback. And it just 
things didn't work out. He hasn't been able to fully come back from that injury, and here we are again. He hasn't even played for the Colts, and he's already out for the foreseeable future. That's why I hate this injury, because there are a lot of people that do not believe in Wentz, rightfully so, and then there are people like me that think, hey, like this guy used to be, this guy was an MVP, close to MVP one year, and ever since then, he hasn't been the same, and I I believe it's more because of what's surrounding him, and not that Wentz is at no fall, of course, he, he's been brutal uh, over the past couple years, but I like to think that, hey, with a good old line, with some decent weapons around him, good defense, and he's back with uh, a, a, the same offensive coordinator that he had, who's now the head coach, I feel like this could have been a, a turning point or a quote-unquote comeback year for Wentz. But now yeah. it's now setting things back because he'll probably won't be back till, what, week 9 or week 10, and even then he'll be rusty, and it's like, oh, let's see next year when he's in a full year. <laughs> I mean, I know. Wentz is, the... he's, he's never going to get a full year, it feels like. There were plenty of reasons to be optimistic about Wentz coming to Indianapolis, like knowing that the reality was he's probably not going to come in and play like an MVP quarterback, but at the very least thinking that he could lead this team to the promised land, you know, kind of revive his career and give, you know, both his fans and Colts fans hope for uh, a long career as their franchise quarterback and already off to a bad start. It's hard to think that he's going to come in, like you said, later in the year and you know play like he he needs to to continue to um, you know hold down this position and you know everything that would come with it. Also, Quentin Nelson's going to have the same foot surgery. That, that's I've, another. Thing, I've yeah. never heard of this before. Like a guy out five to twelve weeks with foot surgery, and the same team has it happen to two players in the same week. Yeah, and the best old lineman on the on their team as well, arguably in the entire league. So yeah, his keep coming for the Colts. Uh, it it's you know if these guys do end up playing in week one and ends up being the five five weeks injury, then okay, maybe it's not as huge of a deal, but if they're out for a long time, then this Colts season could uh, be really disastrous compared to what their fans were thinking back in March and April. Yeah, agreed. All right, and uh, before we wrap up NFL training camp talk, do you want to just give some thoughts on the Patriots? I'll give some thoughts on the Steelers, just some of the things that we like that we've uh, you know heard and seen from camp. Yeah, there. I mean, there are plenty of things that we can certainly talk about. Uh, when we get closer to the regular season start. But I guess for now, the biggest things to mention is, one, the the quarterback competition between Cam Newton and Mac Jones. Mac Jones, I, I'll admit, I, I don't love him. I, I feel like his success was more because of what was surrounding him at Alabama. But I will say it is a great fit, just given that he's going from Nick Saban to Bill Belichick, who are obviously, who are obviously close and... and connected and uh so it's a perfect fit for mac jones and so far in training camp he's done a good job he's been one of the first ones that practice every single each day uh but uh, coincidentally today this was the first day uh in pads and apparently mac jones was terrible today and cam newton was was actually good which surprises me because i saw cam newton for 16 games last year who and for 14 or 15 of those games, he was not a very accurate quarterback whatsoever. And it's trending towards Cam Newton as being the week one starter, especially when Belichick comes out and says, yeah, Cam's our guy. And 
I mean, I can't do another year of Cam Newton. I mean, yeah, he was an MVP once, but he's certainly not uh, the same guy. If you watched any <laughs> any of his game last year, and I don't know, I I hope they go to Mac Jones just to see what if if he can prove people like me wrong and and others wrong that it's not it wasn't just about what was surrounding him at Alabama and it's more more about what his intangibles are. Yeah, I fully expect Cam Newton to be the week one starter, but for Mac Jones to get opportunities, and I do think it'll be sooner rather than later. I don't think that Cam is going to be on a long leash. I think it's going to be only a matter of time if he's, he comes out struggling before Jones gets an opportunity to you know, take over as QB1. Yeah, I, I hope it's sometime in, realistically, I hope it's sometime in October. I, I mean, if, if they put in Mac Jones during the Tom Brady's uh, reunion, <laughs> like that one, I I couldn't imagine how Mac Jones would feel about that. Like, oh yeah, here one of your first games is going to be against Tom Brady and the Bucks <laughs> returning to Foxborough. That, Fox would, be, to that would be an interesting storyline. And get his revenge. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing to mention in Patriots training camp is Stephon Gilmore and his contract situation, and he's in, entering the last year of his deal, and of course he wants to get uh, a new deal and. It's always been a story with the same kind of story with cornerbacks in New England where we had Ty Law and Asante Samuel and then Darrell Revis and Brandon Browner, who uh, those are two guys that were key parts in the Super Bowl 49 win. And I wanted those guys back, but uh, Belichick decided to go in a different direction. And he ended up being right because Revis ended up being trash in, back with the Jets and Brandon Browner is in jail. So he ended up being right about that uh, about those two guys and having Malcolm Butler as the number one corner and then all of a sudden hit Malcolm Butler's con- contract situation wasn't going well and then he benched them in the Super Bowl and then we never saw Malcolm Butler in a Patriots uniform again and I, he's I already guess, been cut by the Titans he's yeah, already and, on his second team since leaving. yeah so maybe he was right about that but I feel like with Stefan Gilmore he Belichick has a lot less leverage because he doesn't have Tom Brady anymore. And the Patriots are now going to be a more defensive team. They're going to rely more on their defense than their offense, of course, without Tom Brady. And so, and Stephon Gilmore, he's one of the best player def- defensive backs in the league, even though he's aging a little bit. He's still one of the best defensive backs in the league. And I, I don't love the idea of relying on JC Jackson as the number one corner. And so, that's that's something to look at. Do you think Gilmore is more likely to be extended or traded at this traded. point? Traded. Yeah. See, I thought that if he was going to be traded, it would have happened by now. But at the same time, it, I don't know how Maybe it's another it is Aaron Rodgers thing where, yeah, I would say traded, but maybe as the season go, goes on, maybe, uh, it, maybe he's more likely to be extended. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Certainly, something to watch with Gilmore because he is still one of the best corners in the league, but he's also, you know, getting older. And I can understand Belichick's hesitation to want to pay him top yeah, two, dollar. Yeah, two years ago he was Defensive Player of the Year, but last year he was injured, and so it it, it could be a big drop off. Yeah, I know. That's why I don't think he'll be extended, but I, I don't know if he'll be traded at this point. That's kind of my thought. Is like maybe he'll wait closer to the trade deadline, just try to. Get I thought he was going to get him, traded, but. At- I thought he was going to get traded at the deadline last year. Yeah, I thought there was a chance of that as well. Um, you know, I would think that he still has a decent amount of value, and the more games he plays this season, the value is going to go down. So, uh, in terms of the Steelers, I think that 
you know, there are a lot of storylines to talk about with this team entering the season, but when I just focus on what I've been seeing at training camp, there are two players that really stand out. And like Mac Jones, they're both rookies, running back Najee Harris, first round pick, and he has looked phenomenal. Uh, he's played, he's just everything that I'm hearing and seeing of him. It looks like Le'Veon Bell and Derrick Henry's body. The guy's 240 pounds, but he's catching touchdown passes. He's playing really well just as a very versatile running back. And I'm very excited to see what he can do this year. Offensive line is obviously going to be a key part. And it seems like there's been a lot of uh, concerns about the offensive line in training camp, but just a lot of guys not being healthy. Zach Banner still hasn't been able to come back from his torn ACL last year. And a lot of other guys have been banged up, missing time. And they really uh, don't know when you're going to have that starting unit. They still don't even know who the starting unit is going to be just given that. Um, so I think that's, it's kind of frustrating thinking that that could really slow down this team, but yeah, another guy, that's my biggest concern of Najee Harris. It's not Najee yeah, Harris oh, himself. It's, it's more, way more to do with the O line. Yeah. Can he get to the second level where he can be that special player? So that's certainly the concern. But another guy who should help with the uh, the run game and the blocking while also helping out with the Pats catching game is second round pick Pat Fryermuth, who apparently the Steelers would have taken him at 24 overall if Najee Harris wasn't on the board. A lot of questions uh when he was chosen in the second round over an offensive lineman but he's an also looked phenomenal just some of the the plays that he's made as a pass catcher and he's also by all accounts they're very excited about him as a blocker i don't know if he's going to supplant eric ebron week one but i think it's only a matter of time before he'll be this team's starting tight end and uh, i know that's that steelers fans are excited to be able to yell mooth kind of similar to the the old heath miller chants so definitely looking forward to what he can do Again, the offensive line is going to be a concern for this offense, and I hope that they can put it all together because uh, we saw last year that uh, you know when that offense and uh, you know Ben Rosberger was forced to get rid of the ball as soon as he caught it off the snap, it became very predictable and easy to stop. So if they uh, they can't figure out the blocking, they can't get a run game, they can't get a deep passing attack, it's going to be a long season. So. All right, that's it for NFL training camp. Let's talk some NBA free agency, which at this point of recording, we're a little over 24 hours into the start of the legal tampering period, the moratorium, whatever you want to call it. And there are certainly a few teams that have stood out in terms of their moves, but I think that the one team that everybody is talking about is the Los Angeles Lakers. So let's start off with the Russell Westbrook trade. What are your thoughts on the Lakers going out and adding Westbrook to pair with LeBron and Anthony Davis? When this trade happened, a lot of people were saying, wow, this is such a bad fit. And I mean, just given that Russell Westbrook and LeBron James are both very ball dominant or they're at their best when they have the ball. But at the same time, does it really matter? Like they're third, they have three superstars now and they're, they look like they're, going to be the title favorites or the second title favorites and rightfully so and so yeah I, I didn't love it of course being a Celtics fan and seeing another super team that has the potential to win it all again especially since it's the Lakers because just the thing about the Lakers is that they're always going to be good it doesn't matter who they have I mean before LeBron got there they weren't they were basically nothing and it's just frustrating because I've said this before in the past that Danny Ainge with the Celtics, he made all these moves 
where he trade made those tr- trades of Brooklyn. He got the draft picks. He hit on a couple guys, and they they brought in Horford and Hayward and Kyrie, and it didn't work out. And the the for the Lakers, it was just like, yeah, LeBron wants to play here. Yeah, Anthony Davis, he wants to play here as well. And then they went, and that's it. That's that's why I hate about all this. And now Westbrook's there, and yeah, they're probably going to be in the NBA Finals. So I don't know that I love the the fit with with no, no it's and it's I, not it's not a great fit. I actually do agree with people on that, but they're superstars, all three of them. But what I will say though is that you can make a case that they could be like the that Lakers team in 2012, I think it was when they had it, it was Kobe, an aging Kobe, aging Pow, uh, an aging Steve Nash. You remember that year? It was yeah, Dwight, Dwight Howard. Howard. Yeah. Yeah. That was a disaster of a year. I can, there's some possibility that that could happen, but I'm leaning towards. I think they'll still be really good. I think it could definitely happen. I don't know if I love the fit with uh, you know Westbrook and LeBron, two ball dominant guys who they're neither of them are great shooters. You know they can knock it down every now and then, but they're not lights out guys. So I think that they're. There's reasons to be skeptical about the Lakers and bringing in Westbrook. At the same time, the pessimist in me just feels like either it's not going to work out and the Lakers are going to find a way to trade Westbrook and get a bunch of really solid assets for him, or it is going to work out. And like you said, they're going to end up in the NBA Finals with this team. But I can't help but think this is like a poor man's Brooklyn Nets big three with Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and uh, James Harden is what you have with you know LeBron, AD, and Russell Westbrook, just an older version of them. You know, Two of those guys are past their primes, whereas all three of the Nets guys are still seemingly in their primes. And I don't know if that's just me just trying to rationalize this and say the Lakers aren't going to be all that good this year, but maybe that's, they're just uh, going to be. That's kind of my thought on this. Maybe they're just going to be a hundred percent in the paint and not a three-point team. <laughs> well, that kind of brings into their free agency moves because they've made a lot of moves, bringing in a bunch of veterans, a bunch of guys who were former Lakers who they're hoping to come in and be able to knock down threes and help with their spacing. Guys like Trevor Ariza, Kent Bazemore. Um, Carmelo Anthony, Carmelo Anthony, and Malik yeah, Monk. Malik Monk. Uh, they also signed Wayne Ellington. So I don't understand. At least yesterday, when they they brought back all those guys like Bazemore, Ellington, um, Trevor Reza, and then Dwight Howard. Why everyone is like acting like the Lakers are putting together a super team because of those guys? Because. If you look at their ages, Anthony Davis is like the young guy at 28, Bazemore's 32, Ellington's 33, Howard's 35, Ariza's 36, same age as LeBron and Marcus Gasol. Like, I, I don't understand like why there's this idea that these are the guys who are going to make a Lakers this this like super team title favorite because, first of all, they're so old that there's no way that they're all healthy at the same time. They're definitely going to deal with injuries and wear and tear and there's no, give guys th- nights th- off. They're going to give all three of those guys rest at some point and i'd imagine that some of those guys if not all of them will will get injured at some point yeah like there's there's just no way to me for me to believe that this is gonna be like this roster that everyone's gonna come in and they're gonna play at their peak potential like they used to it's like these guys are all way past their prime and about way past their prime lebron no lebron no lebron anthony davis russell westbrook i'm not talking about them i'm talking about the free asian edition i'm talking about the one-year minimum guys like carmelo yeah yeah carmelo anthony is another carmelo's like seven or eight years past his prime 
Yeah, and I, I don't know. I just don't understand everyone, like some of the overreactions coming from Lakers fans and others in the NBA world. And I don't know if it's just Twitter, and that's just the wrong place to look uh, for that kind of reaction. But I'll fully admit, I'm a guy that just focuses way more on who are your top guys. <laughs> like, I mean, I feel like the Okay, other guy... and given that, those three, how do they sack up to other big threes? How do they sack up to Brooklyn's yeah, big three? Yeah, they probably do they don't stack up, stack up Milwaukee's big they, three. They probably don't stack up well... well as well to Brooklyn's big three, but I would probably still take them over Milwaukee's maybe, which I know sounds crazy, but it's like... Given that they just won the finals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even like Phoenix's big three with Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton. I, I don't know. I, I I do like their Taylor Horton Tucker bringing him back on a good deal. I They managed to convince Tendrick Nunn to sign, I think, two years, $10 million, less than he could have gotten elsewhere. I think that's good. That's another young player to bring in. But they also lost Alex Caruso. So, like, they're, it's basically just a one-for-one one in that sense. And I don't know if Nunn is, like, that much better than what Caruso was able to bring them. So, I don't know. I, I just don't understand this idea that the Lakers are all of a sudden like title favorites. Like this is an like amazing roster that will... Rob Polinka is putting together. And also, let's go back to that thought about like the Lakers, how they can have whoever they want. This idea that Rob Polinka is the greatest GM of all time. He doesn't have to do anything. Yeah, he says, he... hey, do you want to come to Los Angeles of all cities and play exactly. with LeBron and that's Anthony their... Davis? That, that's a selling point. He doesn't have to do anything. Yeah, that's. It's everything that I've I've said over the years that it's just so easy for they don't have to be great tech tacticians. They just say, Hey, you want to come to LA and play with LeBron? And yeah, and these yeah, guys sure. be like, Yeah, absolutely. Why not? I I don't know. I Easiest just, job on earth. I think it's frustrating seeing that and maybe that's what's kind of like you know, just making me have all these feelings. I'll I'll uh, fully admit that if this was the but... if this was the Celtics roster or if I were a Lakers fan, I would have more doubts. But because I'm a pessimistic. Really? So you're the opposite of how Lakers fans are feeling. Because I feel like, Lake, I don't know. Maybe I'm just just looking in the you, wrong place. Do you know what I, I mean, like though? Because everything I see on Twitter because is I'm the Celtics, fans, like, because I'm a Celtics fan, and, it, and this is the so Lakers roster. Yeah, you want to be pessimistic as a Celtics fan. Yeah, I feel I feel be, that you would way. also be pessimistic as a Lakers. So you be yeah. you're pessi- you're optimistic about the Lakers because you're a pessimistic Celtics fan. <laughs> there you, you think go. if you were a Lakers fan, you'd be a pessimistic Lakers fan. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, that. so you're just you're just trying to be negative about it. Exactly. <laughs> wow. I okay. I mean, I, I, I guess. I just don't, I don't feel know. great about it because I'm the not going to sit here and say I think way. the Lakers. I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and say I think the Lakers will be terrible. I think they'll find ways to win games, but I just don't understand this idea that the Lakers all of a sudden are like the best team in basketball because they signed Kent Bazemore, Wayne Ellington, and Carmelo Anthony. I, I, <laughs> like, I, I, I think, think that's more, like just I think crazy. it's way more just because they signed they they traded for Westbrook. But, like, even then, is like, of all the guys, like, you have this idea that, like, Lakers were going to go out, they were going to get DeMar DeRozan for the MLE, they were going to do, like, a sign-and-trade with Buddy Heal, they would find some way to get Kyle Lowry, like, all these guys, and we're going to sit here and say that the Lakers are having an amazing offseason because they signed all these guys to minimum deals? Their, their supporting cast when they won it all was... Rondo and Dwight Howard and oh, you're right. They yes, like it, it wasn't was that great, but maybe it had more to do with the bubble. And then, than, than well, there anything. were there were a lot of factors, and you also had a healthy LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I don't know. Maybe it's an every other year thing with them because they were hurt in 2019. They were hurt in 2021. Maybe they'll be healthy again this year. And I, I do think that was a, a big reason why they uh, lost to Phoenix as Anthony Davis got injured. 
but I don't know. I'm I'm still like looking at this team and saying they're so old that they're going to deal with injuries inevitably, and that things are going to kind of fall apart around it. I, I, I guess see, as long see, as LeBron and AD point. are healthy, it doesn't matter if it's Carmelo Anthony or Kent Bazemore who's open for three in the corner. I, I look. I, I see your point that I I can see it going sideways for them, just given how old their roster is. I don't think it'll be as bad as the the. Kobe, Dwight Howard, Ron Artest, Steve Nash era. Where, did they even make the playoffs that year? I don't I even think they, they, they didn't even make. I don't they even didn't think, win a playoff game. I'm pretty sure. Okay, they got so they barely, by, like, barely squeaked into the playoffs. I, I, I expect them to be much better, much better than that team. But I can totally see why you think that they're not going to be a one seed or they're not going to make the title. And that and other teams, especially how given how good the West is. I'm not is. even gonna say that I don't. Yeah, like the West is so good that I don't understand how they're all of a sudden like. They're they're the favorites. Nobody can stop them. That's kind of what my my mindset is. And I, I yeah, I would agree with that. I just I, like you said, I'm just a super pessimistic guy. Celtics fan. All right. Well, let's uh let's move off the Lakers <laughs> a little and let's talk about some other teams. We did kind of mention some of these players already, but point guard has been a huge story of the past twenty four hours with the two arguably the two biggest guys in free agency at least based on the money that they commanded kyle lowry and chris paul lowry goes to the heat in a sign and trade with the raptors while chris paul returns to the suns plenty of other point guard movement or guys resigning what do you think are like so i guess let's start off with those two chris paul going back to phoenix what are your thoughts like we had talked a little about the what ifs of chris paul going back to phoenix what are your thoughts on phoenix's chances of going back to the finals or at least contending to go to the finals now that Paul is back. Well, four years, 120 million for a 36 year old point guard is, is sounds ridiculous, but at the same time, I don't know what else Phoenix, what they were going to do, especially since they made it all the way to game six of the NBA finals. And Chris Paul had a lot to do with that. Now I know he had his struggles in the finals, but he was a, a big reason why they got there in the first place. So I don't blame him too much for bringing him back even though it's a hefty price. Uh, their chances of getting back to the finals, are, I'd imagine, are much less than how they performed this year, just given that they were a two-seed last year and they had a lot going for them, just given the injuries to guys like Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, and other guys. And, yeah, I think their chances are definitely less, are definitely worse than last year, of course, but... I, I don't know. I think they could be in the mix as a top four team in the West. Top five. I don't know. I, I absolutely expect the Suns to still be in the mix. And I agree with you. It's a lot to give to a 36-year-old point guard, but the Suns didn't really have a choice. They couldn't really just sit back and lose him over yeah, it's not, it's you know, not, a few It's million not exactly dollars. a hot destination. Well, it is in terms of weather, but in terms of yeah. uh, a big market, it's not exactly the biggest market in the NBA, even though they made the NBA Finals. No, and I think it's great for Chris Paul getting that four years, $120 million because his last contract, we're not too far removed from it looking like a terrible deal. So the fact that he was able to opt out of $44 million and not look crazy, I think says a lot about him and uh, the way he's performed the past two seasons in Oklahoma City and now Phoenix. So I definitely like this move for the Suns. I think them doing as much as they can to kind of run it back. They also brought back campaign. Um, which felt like added a steal of a contract oh just for given sure how he three for 19 the... like that just justifies maybe overpaying a little for chris paul is underpaying for campaign yeah 
So I do expect the Suns to still be in the mix next year. The West is going to be tough. There are a lot of really good teams in it. Uh, Jazz brought back Mike Conley. I think they're, they're a team that nobody really talks about, but they were the one seed last year. And Donovan Mitchell's so still there. Rudy, <laughs> exactly. I get that. Rudy Gobert being your second best player makes you a boring team. Even Mike Conley being your third best makes them a boring team. But um, I do expect the Jazz to still be in the mix. I think that's the the fact that they got him for you know three years, seventy two million dollars, twenty four million a year. That's six million less than uh, the Suns paid. Chris Paul and it's six million less than the Heat just paid Kyle Lowry three for ninety. So let's kind of shift our focus to Lowry going to Miami. So what are your thoughts on Lowry in Miami? I think that the overwhelming opinion is that he really fits Heat culture. He's someone who was friends with Jimmy Butler going back to them playing in the twenty sixteen Olympics and that he'll be a really solid fit there. Do you where how do you think that this uh, impacts the Heat's chances of uh, once again competing in the West, potentially getting back to the NBA Finals where they were in the bubble two years ago. Not even. Yeah, Kyle Lowry, even though he's aging, he, he's definitely a great fit in Miami. And I thought this was going to happen at the deadline where he goes to Miami. And but So it was only a matter of time that Lowry was out of Toronto. And so how do, how do I feel about their their title chances for Miami? I mean, yes, it makes them better. And I think they are probably at this point maybe a three seed in the east at best but i don't know i i still think milwaukee and brooklyn are much better than them and so yeah i, 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 don't I know. agree with that I, I don't i think i think they can make the second round but i don't they would need a some lucky bounces to go their way with injuries or whatever for them to yeah, go deeper i i absolutely agree i do think that they're in that three four range Philadelphia to this point still has Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris. I don't know what to make of their roster, like how to you know stack them up because I don't think that they're close to the team that uh, they're going to end up being. But I agree with you. Brooklyn and Miami or Milwaukee, I think, are still above Miami to this point. I think that Lowry can come in and you know help that team be better, but I don't know if they're going to be you know a a title contender again. And their window isn't all that huge given that. Lowry and Butler older players you know Bam Adebayo is young they brought back Duncan Robinson he's a young guy but when your two best players are in their mid-30s and they're on huge deals I think it's kind of like another team in the west (laughs) yeah exactly I mean I think it puts them in a tough spot where it's like they really need to to win now and we saw them get out of the bubble. They really struggled this season, and they ended up getting swept by Milwaukee in the first round of the playoffs. So I don't know that Lowry comes in and puts them over the top compared to where they were. Yeah, I would I would agree with everything you just said. So another young point guard in this case, another point guard who has moved, Lonzo Ball, who goes from the Pelicans to the Bulls in a sign-in trade. And I love this move for the Bulls. I think that Lonzo is like the – like he was the – dream signing basically for Chicago and I think them landing him that this is a team that's going to make a huge jump based on free agency especially when you throw in that they now bring in DeMar DeRozan and another sign and trade I'm really high on the Bulls this season not just making the playoffs but you know potentially seeing them in a position where Atlanta was when they made some free agent signings and ended up going all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals yeah I'll admit I was not a fan of the Lonzo Ball to Chicago move and it's not because of where he's going but what it meant for the Celtics because there are a lot of rumors about uh, a sign and trade with the Celtics and Lonzo going to the Celtics and Marcus Smart 
go leaving. And now that didn't happen, it, it puts the Celtics in an awkward situation with Marcus Smart because he's entering his last year and he probably has heard the rumors about uh, that the Celtics wanting to trade him. And so I don't, I don't love it from that standpoint, but yes, it is good for the Bulls. So from the Pelican standpoint, man, I feel like they're just going to end up botching this whole Zion Williamson thing the same way they did to Anthony Davis. hundred percent. Yeah. At the same time, I don't know. I don't know how they could just trade Lonzo without there being some kind of input from Zion, unless Lonzo straight up said he had no interest in coming back to New Orleans and that just kind of forced their hand. Because it felt like Lonzo and Zion were a fun fit together, you know, with their, their alley-oops and stuff. Maybe they weren't perfect. Maybe Lonzo, like, had his frustrations there. But, uh, yeah. I thought, I mean, I I thought it was reason I thought it to could worry work about out that. With, I, mean, not, not just, I mean, not just Zion, but, yeah, Lonzo and Brandon Ingram. And they have, they have a lot of young talent. But, yeah, it, it feels like it's inevitable that Zion, whenever his deal is up, that he'll probably just end up on a – some super team in New York or in LA or whatever. Yeah, I know that the, the Zion to next rumors aren't going away anytime soon. Uh, I, I I am a fan of the Pelicans bringing in Devontae Graham, uh, forty-seven million dollar deal. I was a, fan of, I was a fan of that deal as well. I, I mean, he's not a max player, but doesn't that feel like a value contract? For, I think for so a guy as like well. Him? I mean, you're getting him for like sixty percent of what the Bulls are paying Lonzo Ball. So. I don't know if Graham can be uh, an 82-game point guard starter, but if he can find a way to, you know, fit into that mold, be the kind of guy who can, uh, you know, provide some shots and some offense for the Pelicans, I think that'll he's be been huge. In, he's been in Charlotte his entire his, his he first has career. Been, I mean, he was not that really not that New good. Orleans is a big jump, but I like to no. think that he can improve as a player. Well, he he was really good when he was the guy in. 2019-20 season and then Lamella Ball comes in and he's kind of forced into this like backup guard role behind Ball and Terry Rozier so I think that kind of hurt him and it made sense why Charlotte was willing to move on from him but I don't think that the Pelicans giving up a, a lottery protected first round pick so if you know, they give up like the 18th overall pick or something for Graham then that's perfect because that means that Graham helped to make the playoffs and if they miss the playoffs anyway well they still have their first round pick so I think it was a good deal from New Orleans I do think they still have more to do I'm interested to see if they bring back Josh Hart if they maybe make a play for a, another guard to come in maybe someone who's more defensive oriented because the Pelicans defense was so bad this past season it's terrible yeah, I don't know how much of it was Stan Van Gundy versus just you know the team just not being competitive defensively, but that certainly needs to be an emphasis to this point going forward. Um, so outside of that, you know, we mentioned that the uh, the Celtics still waiting to to see how they figure out the point guard situation. There's not a whole lot of guys out there. Is there anyone? There I mean, was one guy going to Washington. There was I thought one he guy, was a possibility. There was one guy that I was I was hoping. For for the Celtics to get and not looking at him as a savior or anything, but I, I really thought Patty Mills was a good, was going to be a good fit for the Celtics, just given his offensive skill set and the fact that he played under Ime Udoka as him as an assistant coach. And so, and, and not only that, but the Celtics do not have a lot of depth at point guard. It's Peyton Pritchard. And I mean, maybe Marcus, Marcus Smart, Smart would be the because point he used guard to be right a now. point guard at OK state. So, 
Yeah, like th- those are that's ba- and Romeo Langford maybe. I mean, other than that, like they don't really have a lot at at point guard. And so I thought Patty Mills made a lot of sense uh, for the Celtics, but no, he's a course in Brooklyn. Yeah, I don't really know what they do at this point. I mean, is Dennis Schroeder? Like oh, who? Man. Who else is out there for <laughs> for like the I mean, potential I guess. starting point guards? Oh, oh what about uh, this is semi joking, but there are a lot of rumors about it about him. What about Isaiah Thomas? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that he could come in to be a starting point guard. I think it'd be fun to bring him back. I, but... I don't. I mean, I don't love the fit now. Just just given that he when he was there, of course, he was the number one scorer. Oh, not yeah. really a he, passer. He would not be and the same way. you got two guys that are clearly better players than him at this point in Brown and Tatum. And I, I don't know. The fit probably wouldn't be great now. No. Um, I'm definitely curious to see what ends up happening with the Celtics, but it, it feels like they're going to need to make a big move to be able to compete um, in the Eastern Conference. I don't think given I, I don't something think this, I think this year is more of a gap year, which I know is yeah, lame, but I, mean, I feel like they, they have to get Beal next year. Whether if it's in a trade in the middle of the season and get him uh, on the cheap or try to convince him to come to Boston in free agency. Cause I'd imagine he'll opt out of his player option uh, next season. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, cause I don't know who, who else would make sense for the Celtics to form a big three. Yeah. I think Beal would be awesome, but it does seem like that'd be something that would have to happen down the road, whether it's at the deadline or next season. Cause you're going to, it is, it's unfortunate that, you know, this team, it's like, all right, we're trying to, go for the playing game this year. I feel like the only way you can convince Beal to come here is because he's he's best friends of Tatum. And you need Tatum to yeah. say, yeah, this They're both Boston's Louis great. Guys. I love it here. And I don't uh-huh. know if I'm fully bought into the fact that Tatum loves it. Now, I know he signed a max deal, but... How, I, mean, I mean, he had to. He's not going to pass on yeah, that. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know what his chances are of staying for another deal. Yeah, I mean, the the team definitely needs to make huge improvements, and it sucks to think that they could potentially be wasting a year um, with both him and Brown in you know, favorable positions, I mean, it's especially not a, with their contracts. It's not a total rebuild year. I mean, I still expect them to be competitive. I still expect them to make the playoffs, but I, I don't expect much else. The ceiling is capped. Yeah, no. I could totally see him being another... Very similar to last year. Yeah, exactly. Seven seed or something like that, and just get bounced in the first round. So another team that uh, has made a lot of moves this offseason that is a potential uh, team that the Celtics are going to be competing with for a playoff spot in uh, the Eastern Conference is the New York Knicks, who last season they had, I think, their best season in almost a decade, making the playoffs as a four seed. They ultimately lost in the first round of the Hawks, but there were a lot of reasons for Knicks fans to be optimistic about the future. And this offseason, they opted to, it's at least to this point, bring back some of their key free agents, Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel, Derek Rose. They also added Evan Fournier, who the Celtics traded for at the deadline. They were unable to convince to come back in free agency. What are your thoughts on the Knicks moves? Because I, I can't. If I were, if like I were a Knicks fan, I, I would. Knicks, I would hate these moves. <laughs> it feels like a typical Knicks off season, and it's like you have like all their, this cap space. Their team you have was these high hopes. It was a very. It, it was an overachieving team last year. Like I'll give them that. Like they were a, a fun, a fun team to watch because they weren't expected to do much at all, and Julius Randle was terrific, and so were their other players and for their roles, and they. Were a four seed, right? And so yeah, they were a four seed. Yeah, so it was. They certainly overachieved, and Tom Thibodeau was coach of the year. So 
But that doesn't mean you should say, "Oh, these these guys are the future of our team now. Let's let's pay these guys uh, big contracts." I I think what's I mean, what's the point of that to to give all that money to guys like Nerlens? Three years, thirty two million for Nerlens Noel, and then yeah, I... and then freaking four years, seventy eight million for Evan Fournier. He's a nice player. He's a decent shooter who plays minimal defense. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the you, you give yeah, twenty million a year to that guy. I, I, that makes no sense to me. I, the fourth year is a team option on Fournier, but yeah, I, I do not love these moves by the Knicks. I don't love their decision to run it back. Even Derrick Rose getting forty three million a year that feels kind of absurd. And I know these guys all play key roles on this team. They all really fit what Tom Thibodeau wants to do. But Tom Thibodeau in Minnesota, he was really solid in the beginning, and then things went haywire, and it was only a matter of time before he was gone, and now the Timberwolves are in a perpetual rebuild again. And I can't help but feel like the similar thing would happen to the Knicks, especially now that all these guys who are kind of on, like, prove-it deals are now getting paid, like, uh, you know, not all-stars, but they're getting paid, like, really solid, like, core pieces. And maybe that they signed these guys it gives them leverage to make moves in future trades that's the only way i that's, can kind of look at it as optimism where yeah, it's that, like oh that's they the can only just trade way these guys I, are damian lillard now that's the only way i would like the moves as well is if they could ship them next year or the year after in big in bigger trades yeah and i don't expect the knicks to be the four seed again i think that atlanta chicago Even and Boston. miami yeah, even Boston, like all those teams could all finish ahead of them. I do expect the Knicks to be in the playoff picture. Uh, I think at the very least they're capable of making the playing game by bringing it back. But I could see this turning into a disaster real quickly because, like you said, they overachieved last season. I don't know that's the kind of team that you want to run it back. But maybe they didn't have better options. Maybe they tried to make a pitch for a guy like DeMar DeRozan or a guy like Kyle Lowry, and they just were unsuccessful. So like, all right, we're just going to pivot to bringing back our guys from last year and see what happens. But then they signed them to three-year deals. So they're, they're kind of hamstrung for at least a little while because of that. Yeah, I, I would I would hate their offseason if I were a Knicks fan. So I, I imagine that, uh, you know, Knicks fans are at least – somewhat okay with it just given that the team did make the playoffs last year they probably feel better than they did a couple years ago when they thought they were getting Zion and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and every other superstar and they ended up with you know Julius Randle and Alfred Payton and some of the other guys you know some of these guys that they probably just signed but it's uh I think that New York's time is uh you know being back like the Knicks are back like they're this big free agent destination everyone wants to go there I think it's on pause at the very least Agreed. All right, so that'll do it for the uh, NBA free agency talk for now. I'm sure we'll have more things to say down the road as more guys sign. Of course, as we get closer to the start of the season, we'll have plenty more to talk about the NBA. But for now, let's move on and talk Major League Baseball. The trade deadline was last week, July 30th, and arguably the best deadline ever that was being thrown out not just the fact that there were a lot of moves but a lot of big names that were it's, on the it, was, move. it was definitely the best one in a while i mean if, if more people cared about baseball then it probably would have been the best <laughs> oh, ever. it would have been huge it would have like, been massive it, but i mean either way it was still uh still an eventful was, deadline for sure just because yeah. not only were there a lot of guys moving but there were a lot of big names moving. a lot of all-stars were moved at the deadline uh or in the days before it so Certainly a lot to talk about, but I think that the biggest trade 
was Max Scherzer and Trey Turner going from the Washington Nationals to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah, it, the rich, the richest get even richer. Yeah, it it's basically uh, yeah. It, I mean, the Dodgers are already stacked, and now they just get more stacked by adding. One well, they of went from title favorites to even greater title. Yeah, favorites. exactly. They, they they added Max Scherzer, one of the best pitchers in baseball, and they already have a rotation of guys like I mean Kershaw and. Well, Trevor Bauer is not playing right now, but I mean, they're, Walker Bueller. Yeah, Walker. Oh, and yeah, Walker Bueller. Yeah, and, and they already have a great line. Now I know Bellinger hasn't had a great year, and and Betts, but yeah, Mookie Betts has been down as well. Yeah, but they're still a loaded team, and now you add Trey Turner to that mix. <laughs> they're 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 great. They're having a and they still have the second best record in baseball. Like, it's so unfair how good they are, and. Their payroll, $307 million. Second is the Red Sox. I don't know if it changed at all with some of their deadline moves, but it was $205 million. They were full $100 million payroll ahead of the Red Sox. Like that, That's ridiculous. And you know what? Good for the Dodgers making these moves. No one can deny that the Dodgers have one of, if not the best, drafting and development processes in all of Major League Baseball. I mean, they, they turned Alex Wood, Matt Kemp, and Yaziel Puig into Josiah Gray and Jeter Downs, who Josiah Gray turned into Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, and Jeter Downs turned into Mookie Betts. Like the way that they're able to do this, it's phenomenal. Well, Alex Verdugo is right up there. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, okay, but yeah, and exactly, Alex Verdugo is another great homegrown player. Like they have a lot of young talent, but like the fact that they turned three washed up expiring contracts into Mookie Betts, Max Scherzer, and Trey Turner, it's it's incredible the way they do it. That being said, there's no other team in baseball who can afford to hand Trevor Bauer $40 million, have him basically gone forever, given you know the allegations against him. I don't see him playing for the Dodgers ever again. And it's like, ah, whatever. We'll just trade for Max Scherzer instead. Sunk cost, $40 million. Like if a team like like the Pirates or Cleveland or the Tampa Tim Bay, Bay Rays or yeah, if any of those teams handed out a contract, it would send him back a decade. It, I think that Major League Baseball's current I wish they had a pay structure cap. is ridiculous. I, I wish I, I wish there was a seller cap in baseball. And I, I love that you say that as a Red Sox fan. Because to me, as a Red Sox fan, I'm like, if baseball had a salary cap, Mookie Betts would still be on the Red Sox because after winning the World Series, they wouldn't have gone out and paid uh Nate Evaldi and Steve Pierce and like some of those other guys just like huge contracts and like oh wow a year later guess what we have Chris Sale locked up too so oh now God. we have and to the, trade yeah, the best. sale deal definitely has hurt them I guess a little just because I mean, he hasn't really pitched like since he signed that deal he's we'll see I think that he can uh if he comes back and is is healthy following Tommy John surgery and pitches well then all right that's great but still I'd like to have Mookie Betts for the next twelve years at three hundred whatever million dollars, like the Dodgers have him. I mean, they'll they'll. I mean, I, I'd imagine halfway through the deal, he he won't be living it, living up to that contract. But at the same time, it's like they won a World Series last year, and they're likely going to win it again, for sure. So, I I do believe that this off season is going to be pretty crucial and I would be surprised if there isn't some kind of work stoppage based on the, the upcoming labor agreement. I do think that a lot of owners are going to see this, especially if the Dodgers win the world series and be like, all right, something has to change. We need to level the playing field because right now eight teams 
have all the money in the world they can spend and everyone else just has to hope that they do everything perfectly with drafting and developing players and making smart trades and like low budget free agent signings. Dude, and even then, like, even, you know, the Rays do everything perfectly and they still lose to the Dodgers in the World Series. Even David Price is on their team and he doesn't yeah, even, he just, he's not what even is he, a, like a long reliever. He's not even a starting pitcher. He's a long reliever. Yeah, it's uh, I think it's it's pretty frustrating, um, and it, it's definitely getting to the point where I'm just I'd be totally okay with a work stoppage if it means Major League Baseball gets with the rest of the North American sports leagues and has a salary cap system because I think it's a joke that MLB doesn't have one, while leagues like the NFL, the NBA, and the NHL are prospering because of it because they have 30 teams that are more or less on the same playing field yeah obviously teams like the lakers and yeah, the I mean, nets they yeah. have advantages from geographic location but a team like the box can afford to hand Giannis Antetokounmpo 200 million dollars and win a championship because of it yeah i mean even though in the nba there's super teams at least they're sort of on the same playing field and yeah you other teams can get lower market teams can get someone like Giannis and pay him as well and they have the thing where you could pay him five years and while other teams can pay four, right? I mean, to help to help a little bit for the NBA. But yeah, yeah in baseball, it's just there ridiculous. That, I mean, yeah, there are ways that you can play around with it. And the NHL still has... Like how, how good would the Rays be if they cap, could but... just spend a little bit of money? Because they're, they're always in the mix, but they don't have any, barely any guys I know. The Bucks won the Super Bowl. The Lightning won the Stanley Cup. Those two teams wouldn't be able to do that if there wasn't a salary cap. Like the Bucks would not have been able to assemble the roster they did. The Lightning would not have been able to assemble the roster they did. They'd be like the Rays. Yeah. So anyway, you know, huge deal for the Dodgers. Certainly World Series favorites. We'll talk a little more about them shortly, I'm sure. But for now, let's talk about a team that is in a big market and they did the opposite of the Dodgers. They subtracted the fire sale, the Chicago Cubs trading their three big offensive members from that 2016 World Series team and Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, and Chris Bryant. They also traded closer Craig Kimbrell. What are your thoughts on the Cubs moves? Part of me is a little surprised that it this happened as early as it did, just given that Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez, they're all in their they're all in their primes, right? Wouldn't you say? Like yeah, I mean, oh, Rizzo's sure. like in his early thirties, but they're the other two guys Chris in their late twenties. Twenty nine, yeah. So they're they're all around there. All three guys are technically in their primes, and you think that they'd be able to continue uh, having all three of those guys in their roster for several more years, but at the same, time, I don't know. It felt like the writing was on the wall as well, where it, it didn't look like they were getting the extensions that they wanted, and so. Yeah. Yeah, it looked like they had to move on, and and look, I think all three teams got they got good players, of course, in the, in their deals. The three teams that that traded for those guys, they're all in the playoff mix, sort of. Yeah, I mean, it, two it was two inevitable. of those teams are leading their division, but the Yankees. I mean, yeah, I thought they were dead a month ago, but adding not just Anthony Rizzo but Joey Gallo as well, that that should help their playoff chances. So I think it was inevitable that the Cubs were going to end up moving these guys at the yeah. deadline. I wasn't sure if all three would be traded. Um, I think Baez was a little bit of a surprise to me. I thought that he was the most likely to stick around, but at the same time, they were all set to be free agents, so it makes sense that they would all be moved. But it's so ridiculous that it came to this for the Cubs. Like When they won the World Series in 2016, 
I think everyone thought that they were a dynasty waiting to happen, that it was inevitable that they'd at least win one more in the coming years. I'm sure you thought no, that. No, I, I thought I thought so. Yeah. I didn't know that they I didn't think they'd necessarily win back to back, but I was like, yeah, 2018, 2019, the Cubs are going to win again. And they they should have been even, a team they that, won a playoff game. They should have been a or, team that contended more than they did. Yeah. I mean, not they not lost winning NLCS a World and, Series. I mean, we can question that, but uh-huh. they definitely should have been contending more going deeper in the playoffs more than they end up you they know lost one, one world series the appearance Dodgers in 2017 yeah and then they haven't won a playoff game since they lost a wild card game in 2018 to the rockies and then they lost two playoff games to the marlins last year so yeah really disappointing for the cubs as a pirates fan i love it because i'm i'm still not over the cubs beating the pirates on the 2015 wild card game uh, so I'm, they, I'm happy they that all this has happened. They won 98 games and the Cubs and won 97. one and done in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy from that perspective that, you know, the Cubs are blowing up everything the way that they did, but it's, uh, you know, just as a, just a non-biased person, it is crazy to me how it came to this point. And then, of course, all three of those guys make their debuts on three different days. They all hit a home run. (laughs) Yeah, Rizzo on Friday with the Yankees, Baez on Saturday with the Mets, and then Brian on Sunday with the Giants. So just rubbing it in the wounds of uh, sad Cubs fans. So uh, one thing I'll say is I do expect at least one of these guys to re-sign with the Cubs in the offseason. I don't know if that's a Super Bowl prediction. You expect one of of those three to just come back to the Cubs. Yeah, and I, I think the one, if I had to predict two, I would say Anthony Rizzo. I mean, um, didn't Chapman do, I mean, not with the Cubs. He went to the Cubs. Yeah, Aralda Chapman goes to the, the Cubs, went back to the Yankees. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if John Lester was ever close to actually coming back to the Red Sox, but I know that was thrown out when he was traded. Uh, but yeah, I, I do expect one of them coming back, which I don't know. Maybe that seems crazy given that they were having extension talks and nothing happened. But I, I do think that all those guys love Chicago. And I guess the reason why I say Rizzo specifically is uh, Chris Bryant. It felt like it was, has been years that he's been uh, in trade talks. So uh, I know that he came out and said that he would love to resign with the Cubs, but I just, I think that that's over. I think he's going to end up going elsewhere, whether it's staying in San Francisco or signing with some other team. And then Baez, now that he's in New York, him and Francisco Lindor are buddies. And the Cubs got Nick Madrigal, second baseman from the White Sox, for Craig Kimbrell. Kimbrell. Uh, Nico, yeah, Nico Horner is another guy. Like I think that Madrigal and Horner is going to be the middle infield of the future for the Cubs. So I think that Baez is he's probably not coming back. So that just leaves Rizzo as the odd man out. And the fact that he's on the Yankees just makes me like, okay, he can go back to Chicago. I don't want him staying with New York could, long term. Uh, he, he seems like a... I don't want to say perfect, but perfect Yankee maybe, or not about perfect, but Rizzo. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just given his personality, bad, power swing, and the eye black, kind of sucks as a guy. Yeah, I don't know. He he seems like someone that I can see. Staying I'm pretty sure he's anti-vax. So since he's on the Yankees and never going to get COVID because the whole team has it or had it. Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess I thought Rizzo was going to go to the Red Sox, so I guess that's a good segue into what Boston did. How do you feel about the Kyle Schwarber trade? I mean, yeah, the Schwarber deal is fine, but they didn't do enough. So I, 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 I hated what they I, did at their deadline. It, I, I know we expected them to just be a middling team that finishes third or fourth in the AL East and not make the playoffs, and so they've exceeded expectations. And I feel like when that happens, 
you should do right by the team by trying to add real pieces that could really help you win and contend for a World Series. And I don't think they did enough. Now, yeah, I like Carl Schwarber. He's he was good for the Cubs, coincidentally, and and for the Nationals yeah. this year, hitting a lot of home yeah. runs. Great hitter, but I don't love that idea of. Oh yeah, he can play first base. No big deal. He hasn't played. Right. He hasn't played first base ever. But yeah, let's just put him there anyway. And it's yeah. not even like he's a great defensive outfielder either. Like he's going to be a defensive liability oh, yeah. at yeah, first he, base. Yeah, he's 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 kind of big. Yeah, he 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 should be a first baseman. No big deal. Like, just shove him. Yeah, there. I mean, I I don't like the move from the Pirates fan perspective, given that Schwarber was uh, you know a big part of uh, everything that happened with that rivalry. But then to bring him in and play first base, like sure, offensively he's going to help, but I don't know that you can have high expectations. He's also on the IL. He's still trying to come back from injury, and you're gonna that's his rehab is learn how to play a new position. I don't love that move. Yeah, I, I don't love that. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with the move, but I don't love that idea. And then no, I, got, I I agree. Yeah. And then yeah, like they didn't. They needed to add a first baseman that can hit and field. So Anthony Rizzo would have been Rizzo would have been perfect. Yeah, he would have been a perfect thought, choice for. for I thought he was going to happen. The fact that he goes to the Yankees too, it just makes it even worse. Yeah. So it makes it even worse from that standpoint. I agree. And then and then they needed to add starting pitching, which I I, I can't stand the idea of like oh well Chris Sale's coming back. I mean we'll we'll be we'll be adding starting ro- pitching to our rotation because he hasn't been. In the rotation all year. Well, I mean, he's coming off Tommy John surgery. And, and he's always injured. Like, it's not like you can expect that, not just him to come back and play well, but for him to come back and stay healthy and not just go back on the IL in a few weeks. Yeah, I mean, Chris Sale's a pencil. <laughs> he, he's not He's not a big, sturdy guy like Verland or anything. He's, he's, like, uh, he's like 190 pounds. <laughs> like, he's a super skinny guy, and he's coming off Tommy John surgery, and he has that funky throw that he has and so I, yeah i don't just a just jose a re- barrios would have been great yeah he jose barrios Toronto, also or, in the division now i i don't i don't blame him for not getting max scherzer it's just like no, that's I mean, so that's ridiculous one, like i, I, I don't blame him to go to the west coast anyway but so. jose barrios would have been a, a good fit especially since i don't know i feel like if they try to get him in early july uh, before the deadline maybe his cost would have been a lot less i don't know Maybe because Toronto did give up a lot for him, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm optimistic about the Red Sox. I feel like whenever they, my expectations for them are low, like in 2013 and 2018, they won the world series. So maybe the same thing had happened in 2021, but at the same time, the White Sox got way better. The Astros got way better. The Red Sox the got teams in their division, know, a little better teams, all the teams yeah, in the their Yankees division and got Blue better. Jays and Rays all got better. The Red Sox just kind of stood pat, so it's like, it's it's tough to look at this team and be like, okay, yeah, I still think that they can make the playoffs. I still think they have a really solid roster. I mean, they're arguably the best team in the American League. It's just a week it's, ago, it's such an but... insult to the fan base and players, just because I don't. I feel like the Red Sox definitely last year were just straight up irrelevant. They've been irrelevant for the past two seasons, if you think about it. And part of that it was because of COVID. For sure. COVID, but part of it's just because they suck. They, and, yeah, and I mean, the, so, the pitching was terrible last year, and this year the pitching's been better than expected, and the offense has been even better as well, yeah, with J.D. Martinez so, coming back playing well. So not only is it an insult to the, yeah, the fan base, but, I mean, Bogarts, Martinez, the guys who have been terrific this year, especially Bogarts, I mean, all-star caliber players, and uh, 
you should be adding to those guys. You should be helping those guys because they can't just do it by themselves. And yeah, and their rotation, it's not good. I mean, it's it's fine, but it's not. It's fine. It's, it's not, not great. It's not great. Yeah. And it's not a rotation where you're like, oh yeah, this is who we want to yeah. be throwing out there I mean, in a playoff series. Uh, how, do you really have faith after Avaldi in, in these guys? I mean, I would say Sale, but. I don't have faith in him. Being I don't know. You can have faith in Sale. Yeah, I don't, I don't have you faith. Can have a ton in of faith in Eduardo. Rodriguez. Eduardo, yeah, Eduardo was terrible in his last start. I don't have faith. Nick in... Pavetta. He's fine. Nick... And, the, and, and Richards. Oh, Garrett Richards, please. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I don't have enough faith in their rotation to maybe make the playoffs. Yes, but not contend for a World Series. No. I do think the Red Sox will still make the playoffs, and I hope that they prove me wrong. I hope that they. You know, still had enough talent that they didn't need to make it a ton of big moves like other teams. But uh, I'm not sure that this is a playoff winning roster. I think Just, that look at what that's the look at what going to be a detriment. Look at what the Giants did. They're the NL West version of us, basically. If you think oh, about yeah, it, oh yeah, overachieving team. That's a team yep. I don't even think we even considered winning division. Not it was at just all. all about no, the Dodgers, Dodgers and, Padres. and Padres. Yeah, and so what they did was they added they added Chris Bryant. Because they know deep down, like, hey, yeah, we're in first, but these two teams are really good, and they're and one of them for sure is getting better, and so we got to get better as well. We got to add someone like Chris Bryant, and so I, I hate it from that standpoint because I feel like the Red Sox should have taken that same approach where, hey, we gotta, we gotta get a real piece or two in here because we're probably not as good as our record shows, and these other teams in our division are, are only getting better. Yeah, so I I guess we'll see how everything plays out, but I definitely understand the frustration from the Red Sox trade deadline. Uh, the, one other trade they made was sending Michael Chavis to the Pirates for reliever Austin Davis. How did you feel about Chavis? Are you glad that he's gone? Uh, in I don't know if it was twenty nineteen. I think twenty nineteen or last twenty nineteen is when he was yeah twenty nineteen. There he looked like he had some potential, but. He definitely did. He was one of the Red Sox top prospects. Yeah, but I, I don't. Know, I feel like it was downhill ever since. And so I'm not, I'm not losing sleep over over that. Just because I, I like I, the move for the Pirates way better than for the Red that's, Sox. That is a good point because when they got back, he didn't exactly inspire me looking at his numbers. No, he was a like I don't even remember when he had last pitched for the team. I feel like he was just kind of on the roster. I actually forgot Austin Davis existed, but for Michael Chavis, Ben Sherrington took him the first round in 2014, so he has the familiarity with him. I think that he is a potential change of scenery guy. You know, you buy low and see what happens, bring him in. Uh, he's starting in AAA, but I do think it's only a matter of time before he gets some opportunities in Pittsburgh, given that the team sucks and he doesn't really have a whole lot that's above him that is really deserving of playing time. And the that was kind of a theme for the Pirates of the trade deadline. They also picked up Bryce Wilson from the Atlanta Braves for Richard Rodriguez. Uh, he's a guy who he started for the Pirates on Monday, right away was on the Major League roster as a starting pitcher. He's someone who Braves fans, I guess, are kind of frustrated with, but he did... Uh, one hit the Dodgers in Game Four of the NLCS over six innings, so that's a huge stage. And I, you know, he showed that he does have a lot of potential in him. So I'm excited to see what happens with him. Rodriguez was like arguably the top closer on the market outside of Craig Kimbrell for a long time, but 
he had like a 675 ERA in July. He's someone whose performance went way down when they started doing the the 60 stuff check. So I think that the Pirates are smart to move him when they did and hope that they uh they got back a good amount um in Bryce Wilson and uh another like single A pitcher for him. I didn't love the Adam Frazier trade. I think that they could have gotten a lot more for the NL hits leader, but uh Ben Sherrington loves Tucapita Mercano, he's a pirate, uh, the Padres' number five prospect middle infielder. So my hope is that he's another guy like Chavis where it's only a matter of time before he comes up. But he's someone who really has to work out for that trade to be worth it. Because I understand Frazier was a regression candidate, but he was still the starting second baseman in the All-Star and game, a, still the NL hits leader. He's a good addition for San Diego. For sure. So uh, it would have been nice to get a little more for him, like a top 100 prospect, but we'll see if Marcano ends up being the real deal, then it'll be worth it. All right. So that being said, let's talk about biggest winners and losers of the trade deadline. I'll let you start with some winners. If you have some teams I mean, one or team players or so obvious. <laughs> Obviously the Dodgers. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that's the obvious one. So I guess for a second winner, yeah, I, I'll actually, yeah, I'll go with the Yankees because they added not only uh, not only Anthony Rizzo, but they also added Joey Gal, like I said earlier. And, I mean, the fact that they didn't have any left-handed power in their lineup in that stadium, in Yankee Stadium, where it's, it's so easy to hit a home run in right field, it blows my mind they never had any left-handed uh, power in their lineup until now. Now they have two guys. Now I know both those guys aren't exactly the best in terms of hitting for average, but they certainly help in terms of uh, hitting for power and driving runs in. And I think just the fact that the Yankees were dead, like I said earlier, a month, I thought, a month they, were in, I thought they were, I thought they were seller. I thought, I thought it was over for them, but now I think I, I don't want to say they'll pass the Red Sox. There's still six games behind them at least, but they could certainly get in the but wild. Card I, yeah. I could still see them getting in a wild in the wild card. And so yeah. I, can I, I would, I would can say I jump on that yeah, and add, in addition, so I didn't write down the Yankees. I wrote down Aaron Boone as a big winner because <laughs> Boone, it felt like his his days were numbered. So the fact that uh, they picked up Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo and committed to winning, I think at least buys him some time and maybe and, a chance to stick around as their manager And long they term. also added Andrew uh, Heaney, uh, left-handed pitcher. Yep, another good starter. Yeah. Yep. Any other winners? No, nah, th- those are the okay. two that stuck out for me. And, uh, and of course, so, yeah, the Dodgers were by far and away the biggest one. Yeah. Um, so one team I want to throw out, the Oakland A's. I love them picking up Starling Marte, former Pirate. They did give up uh, Jesus Luzardo, but he's someone who kind of uh, had been falling off after a really strong rookie season. So I think that's a great move for the A's. And they also added... Um, Andrew Chafin, who could potentially come in and be a, a high leverage reliever for them, along with uh, Jan Gomes and the versatile Josh Harrison. So they, they have a nice backup catcher to their young stud, Sean Murphy. And then Harrison, he can play all over the field. They got those guys from Washington. I think Oakland did a lot. I really wanted them to get Trevor Story earlier in the month, but when I realized that that wasn't going to happen, I do think that they pivoted and made some really solid additions. A team that is always in playoff contention but never really does anything there. I think it's a big year for the A's, so if they can make it to the playoffs and have some success there, I think that those moves are going to be a big part of it. Um, Another team I really like what the Braves did. I thought the Braves were dead when Ronald Acuna went down with a torn ACL uh, just a few weeks ago, but they've been treading water. They actually set a streak for uh, longest consecutive number of games without 
a two-game winning or losing streak, 17 games, alternating wins and losses. Uh, but they find themselves just four games back in the Mets. They took three out of two or three out of five in New York uh, just before the deadline. And then they went out and they picked up a bunch of outfielders. They traded for Jock Peterson a few weeks before the deadline, but then they also acquired Jorge Soler from the Royals, Adam Duvall from the Marlins, and Eddie Rosario from Cleveland. So I really like uh, you know the fact that they were able to come out and make some moves, acquire some talent. They also picked up Richard Rodriguez. We'll see, you know, if he can turn it around in the uh, you know, after struggling with the Pirates for the last month. But the fact that the Braves are a team that, like the Yankees, looked like they would be sellers, but they ended up being buyers. They still have an opportunity to make the playoffs. I really like that. Yeah, and, and they don't have a lot of competition in their division. It's really No, the, the NL East is terrible. The, it's really the Mets and maybe the Phillies. The Phillies, yeah. So they're they're still up there as well. Uh, but yeah, I like what the Braves did. And then in terms of a winner that was a selling team, the Twins picking up two top 60 prospects for Jose Brios. Brios is a great starter. He's still controllable. I think it's a good move for the Blue Jays to acquire him. But I, I think that the Twins, after a disastrous season, they were my pick to go to the World Series in the American League. I think them picking up two really high-end prospects is, uh, is great for them. So it's a win-win for that trade. Yeah. Um, how about biggest losers? I mean, obviously the Red Sox are, but I mean, just they need they had two glaring needs, and and they're supposed to be a team that should be contending for or doing whatever they can to help the Red Sox contend for a World Series, and they did basically nothing. They they picked up Kyle Schwarber and they picked up two pitchers who suck, and so yeah, I hated their deadline. Obviously, that's a little biased, but I think they're definitely a loser. Uh, for another team, just to get off a of bias, uh, I'll admit I think the Padres kind of got hurt in this because I have them I know, as a loser. As I well. know the I know they picked up Adam Frazier, which will help, but the fact the fact that they were close to getting Max Scherzer, and then they didn't get Max Scherzer, and then he goes to the the last team that they want him on <laughs> in the Dodgers. That that's just a a lose lose situation for them for not only not getting him but going to the team that is going to kill them. So Yeah, for sure. I had the, the same reason for having them as a yeah, loser. Yeah, Red Sox and Padres. So in addition to the Padres, Cubs fans, I think that the Cubs made out well, but Cubs fans, you know, it, it's tough for them. And again, I don't necessarily hate it. I, I don't love the Cubs, but uh, I understand their fans' frustration. Trading three guys who helped win a World Series just right at the deadline and then seeing them instantly have success with the new team. They absolutely are the, uh, the biggest losers of the fan base. I like how you're picking not teams, but you're picking individuals and then, and, 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 well, and mostly fan, teams. And fan bases. Yeah. That, it sounds like me during the draft. Like, Oh, what's your biggest loser? Uh, Roger Goodell's chair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. I like to I like to branch out a little. I mean, my biggest winner for the NBA trade deadline is the name Gary. So, <laughs> um, so in addition, uh, the Phillies I have as losers. I think that they were a team who could have done a lot more than they did, given that they're in a good spot behind the Mets. All they went out and did was get. Um, Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy, uh, starter and a, a reliever from the uh, Texas Rangers. That was I don't that think was another, of those guys. Those are were other great. pitchers. Uh, Kyle Gibson. That was another rumored pitcher for the Red Sox that 
<laughs> they didn't get Yeah. Well, so part of the issue with Kyle Gibson is he's going from a pitcher-friendly park to a hitter-friendly park, so there's a lot of concern with him. Uh, Ian Kennedy, I-, I can't really say too much other than he gave up a two-round homer to one of the Pirates' worst hitters on Sunday in his Phillies debut, so that's the only uh, reason I can really knock on him. But then their offense, the only move they made was bringing back Freddie Galvis. I thought that the Phillies... Could have gone out and got Chris Bryant, Josh Donaldson, just you know some big bat, and they didn't do that. And I don't love the pitching additions they made, and I think ultimately that's going to cost them in the NL East. And then the last loser, a team that is the perpetual biggest loser of this season, and it's the Colorado Rockies. How do you not trade Trevor Story? Like, what do you agree with that decision that we're better off just getting a draft pick instead of? getting some kind of talent no, get, now get, for him. Just if you're a team like that, you just you have to start rebuilding and then just they don't have Arenado anymore. And... No, they botched the Arenado trade and now the they just they still have Trevor Story. I, I just I don't understand how they let that play out. So to me the Rockies are losers just for that reason alone. Sounds good to me. <laughs> All right, that'll wrap things up for the MLB trade deadline. Let's move on now and do five questions to wrap up the episode. So I'll start off with question number one. NHL free agency has been underway for more than a week now. What have been the most notable moves to this point? I mean, yeah, there have been obviously dozens of moves that I could go on about, but the two that stuck out to me in terms of not notable, but stupid (laughs) The first one that I thought was really stupid was Dougie Hamilton going to the New Jersey Devils for seven years, $63 million a year. No, no not a year. $63 million in total, $9 million a year. And yes, he's, is he going to pad the stat sheet? Yeah, of course. And he's yeah, he's a great offensive defenseman. But that's just one guy, and he's not really a he's not really a, a two-way sh- shutdown defenseman. Like That's money I'd pay Victor Hedman. That's not money I'd pay Dougie Hamilton. And so I feel like they're gonna regret that, regret that move by year three or four. I mean, to use it's just an overpay. Yeah, to use a uh, basketball analogy, think of Kevin Love on the Minnesota Timberwolves. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. He's gonna pad the statue. He's gonna get double doubles every night. But are you gonna make the playoffs or do anything? No. <laughs> so that's no, because the Devils were really bad. They have been for the past few seasons. Yeah, and, so, I mean, yeah, we'll technically make them better. Yeah, sure. But that division's loaded, and they're one of the worst in that division so i didn't like that move and then the other move that i didn't like that i thought was really stupid you'll love this uh it's a re-signing it's a uh, alex ovechkin five years yeah. 47 and a half million he's 35 years old he's gonna go on 36 and you're gonna pay him nine million a year for five years uh, I, I i know he's great he's they a, had to do it i know yeah he's he was a, going to rush i know he's a first ballot hall of fame and everything but it's like nine million a year for a and I know th- I thought that was a lot of money. I, know I was shocked th- when he signed a five-year deal. Yeah, and th- I know the I know the Suns. They gave a bunch of money to Chris Paul and everything, and we t- we said like that. I, we get it from that for for them, but it's like in hockey, it's a really hard salary cap. And mm-hmm. when you have all that money going to one guy, I th- I think it hurts the most in hockey. That's but oh I- for sure. I mean, you look at the Oilers. Part of the reason why they're so terrible is because they pay Connor McDavid so much. Twelve million a year. Yeah. So yeah, I I didn't like. Uh, I was I, even though yeah you can say you can talk about the positives. I mean, of course, Ovechkin he's been their legendary player for almost twenty years now, but it's like that much money. Yeah, he is their franchise. That much so. money going to him, aging. I don't. 
I wasn't a fan of either of those moves. And and then when it comes to the Bruins, just, just to talk about the Bruins, I mean, they picked up half a dozen third and fourth liners there just that can't put the puck in the net. And they didn't address the left shot. De- now, I know they got some guy named Derek Forbert. Never heard of him. If you asked me what 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 sport he played, I would have said basketball. I would have said, like, backup center. <laughs> I've never, I've never heard, heard of him, heard of him until he signed him. These guys he, he apparently, he was a Winnipeg left shot D who can help on their penalty kill. But that doesn't address uh, – it doesn't address uh, uh, someone who could play next to McAvoy. They still have Matt Grizzlick and Mike Riley, who I think both those guys were just exposed last year versus the Islanders. And, and not only that, but they don't have a second-line center now because David Krejci is now in the Czech Republic – which I get it from his standpoint, but it sucks for the Bruins because they're Don Sweeney talked about how they're going to play a center by committee, which I hate for a second line. <laughs> you got to have two got two lines that can you can rely on to score. And not only does that hurt uh, not having a second line center, but that might hurt Taylor Hall as well because when they picked up Taylor Hall, in a way they got David Krejci because David Krejci was not great until they got Taylor Hall and. I don't know that that could hurt him as well, and so I I hate it. I I hate the Bruins off season so far, and they they picked up. A, but do you like Taylor Hall coming back? Yeah, I love that he comes back, but now they don't have a a centerman that they can rely on to pair with them. So that that might hurt his production now because he he was terrific with Krejci, but now they don't have a second line center. And I mean, there have been talks about getting Jack Eichel. He's been practicing in Warrior Arena, uh, Warrior Arena with. Bruins players and he's from Chelmsford and so he's obviously and he went to BU so of course he knows the area well and he'd be a great fit here but he also makes 10 million a year and I don't think the Bruins have uh, the pieces to trade for him unless they want to get rid of Pasternak or whatever and so I don't love that. Which would you trade Pasternak? No I wouldn't trade Pasternak. I would love to trade Coyle, DeBrusque and other useless guys but the Sabres probably wouldn't do that. No, I am. I'm interested to see if Eichel does end up getting moved this offseason. I thought it would happen by now. Yeah, I thought it would. Um, well, as for the Penguins, I think they've had a pretty disastrous offseason. Yeah. I do not love any of the moves to this point. <laughs> uh, there's some guys that are like, you know, maybe these these will, uh, you know, they'll reach their potential or whatever. But they lost Cody Cece, who was a really solid defenseman. I think Edmonton overpaid for him, but they haven't really done anything to replace him. And the the theme of the offseason has been figure out goaltending. And it sounds like Ron Hextall and Brian Burke are very much content with just running it back with Tristan Jarry and Casey to Smith. Yeah, and, and I just, I don't understand how you can do that after the playoffs. And that, that's year. another thing for, for, for the Bruins goaltending. They picked up a guy named uh, Linus Olmark. You know, Linus, the, the the guy who sucks his thumb with a blanket in, in uh, Charlie Brown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, they pick up a guy named Linus. Is he going to be the starting goalie Yeah, now? and so he, he was in Buffalo last year, and his stats are decent. And then when you factor in that he played for Buffalo, then that means it's even better. It's even yeah. miraculous that he put up a winning record in a 2-6 goals against. And so, but I don't I have no idea if he can play or not. I mean, and they're paying him uh-huh. $5 million a year now, and... And then what I, what I took from that was, all right, well, that means Rask isn't coming back. But then all of a sudden I hear Don Sweeney in an interview. is like, well, we could bring back Tuca after, you know, January or February after he's healed from his surgery. No, don't bring him back. <laughs> Stop. Enough with yeah. Tuca. 
I do feel like he's going to be back, though. They'll never win a Stanley Cup as long as he's in that. Mark my words. No, definitely not. I've been saying that for years. Yeah. So. I, I can't I can't stand our our hockey and baseball teams suck at making moves of late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm uh I'm I'm definitely frustrated with how things have played out for the Penguins, and I don't know maybe there's still a chance that uh they can find a way to get Mark Andre Fleury out of Chicago, but it sounds like even that they don't want to do. And I I get that the guys running it don't have the connection with Fleury because they're new, but still. That's an, that that's another thing to mention. Like I don't know what the obsession is with Rask when a team like Vegas has Mark Andre Fleury who wins the Vesda and they're like yeah, we'll, we'll, just we'll just get rid of him like Salary no big deal. Like, yeah. like they right. just, they cut ties with him just like that. Like what why can't the Bruins do the same thing with Tuka? Ah, just enough. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. So question number two, after that long rant that I just had, <laughs> uh, question number two, Oklahoma and Texas are set to join the SEC starting in the 2025-2026 academic calendar year. How do you feel about this major change to college football? I want to like it. I, I want to you know, have this whole SEC pride and be like, oh, Texas and Oklahoma are going to bring so much money to SEC. In theory, that's going to be great for South Carolina. But I don't know. I like tradition. I don't like huge change like this. And I don't love Texas and Oklahoma, two Midwestern schools coming to the SEC. And just it feels like we're getting to the point where we're just getting rid of conferences. Like we just have this super conference. And I don't know what it's going to mean for the future of college football. But I I don't know. I don't know if I love it. I, I want to love it, but I don't know what I do. So you are obviously more qualified to answer this question than me. But I'll give my two cents. I mean, I can see it why people would and wouldn't like it. I mean, for the people that would like it, it's like, yeah, these Texas and Oklahoma, they're, they're two big schools, big, big football schools. Would you say, I mean, Oklahoma and Texas, they haven't won. Oklahoma has been in the college football playoff. They haven't won the national championship, either team in whatever long. I mean, Texas won back in like when they had Vince Young years ago. Yeah. But they, they've, they, (laughs) they have been fairly irrelevant for a school of their stature since then. But they still are pretty big football schools, right? Would you say so? Like, I mean, they're huge. Going, when so, you talk about the money, like Texas is a, the number one program in terms of how much money they make. Yeah. So it, that's huge from that perspective. So, Oklahoma makes a ton of money, and they're really good every year. So those two going to the biggest football conference in college football in the SEC, like that sounds exciting in a way. But at the same time, yeah. I kind of see why Kirk, someone like Kirk Herbstreit would be upset about this and that. Like, yeah, this is just for the money, and it's not really mm-hmm. for tradition anymore. And the Big 12 is going to be completely useless at some point, right? Oh, the Big 12, It's once they're gone, the Big 12 is done. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I've seen some proposals where basically you end up with four 16-team conferences with the, the Big 12 teams just getting split out between the ACC um you know, SEC with Oklahoma and Texas, Big Twelve or Big Ten, and then the Pac Twelve. So there's certainly ways that uh, you know realignment will continue to happen once those teams are gone. But yeah, I, I don't love it. I, yeah, I, I really I can, don't. I can I, see why it'd be exciting for some people, but also not great for others. See, it's funny that what a few months ago Europe was like 
rioting and protesting over a Super League. And now in the U.S., it's like, oh, this is great. We got a Super <laughs> League in college sports. <laughs> Just totally different cultures when it comes to uh, sport versus business. Wow, that's, that's a good point. All right, question three. The Cleveland Indians announced they will be changing their name to the Guardians next season. What are your thoughts on the new nickname? If it was between the Cleveland Guardians or the Cleveland baseball team, I would rather be the Cleveland baseball team. <laughs> the Cleveland, I agree with the, that. The Cleveland Gar- baseball club. That's a, that's a terrible name. The Cleveland Guardians. It's like a minor league name. I know. And I understand like the whole like Guardians of the City, which those two statues, I didn't even know they existed until I watched the promo video. So I get why they went with Guardians, but it just feels like a minor league team. Oh, name. Yeah, I know. I agree. I, and the thing I, about I, Cleveland Guardians, if they if they were the Cleveland Guardians in 1915 or whatever year they came up the Indians and still the Cleveland Guardians in 2021, be like, oh, whatever, like Red Sox, White Sox, Mets. You know, we look the other way, even though those are stupid names when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. But the fact that you come up with that name in 2021, it's like, are you kidding me? Out of everything out there, that's who you choose, Guardians? Yeah, it, it sounds corny. And have you seen their logo? It's basically the Dayton Flyers. Yeah, just a... Right? Oh, I know. Just a G with wings on yeah. it, and I I don't like the logo either. Also, I'm not a huge fan. Also, of, what does it uh, say about the the, the Washington football team that they ha- have had long? They've they've tried to come up with a new name for a much longer time, and they still don't have a new name. And I I mean, if I don't I don't get it from 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 the Washington football team uh aspect. yeah i mean I, I i do understand that that like why do they still not have a name but at the same time like we're saying we'd rather them just be the cleveland baseball team <laughs> like like well, i mean think between that, that and the guardians if you yeah, can't come up if you can't come up with a better name then might as well keep it and have that uniqueness to you i i, I um, would have loved the even though there's a team named the rockies i would have loved the cleveland rocks the cleveland rockers or rocks or cleveland rocks they couldn't yeah yeah they couldn't because and some people have mentioned See, the spiders as well. I'm glad that they didn't didn't do the spiders. Yeah. It has nothing to do with me being afraid of spiders or anything. It's just I appreciate history. And I appreciate that the 1899 Cleveland Spiders went 20 and 134, worst team in baseball history, and I always want them to be associated with just that, not associated with some team in Cleveland that can never win a World Series and is a a joke of a franchise at times. Don't spend any money. Like, I don't want that to be the Spiders. I want the Spiders to be a joke of a team from 1899, not from 2022. Yeah, Yeah, I agree with that. And a lot of people dress up as Spider-Man if they went to... Oh, yeah. I mean, well, hey, if it's between dressing up as Spider-Man or Chief Wahoo, I'll take them dressing up as Spider-Man. Like, (laughs) I think that it's understandable why they are no longer the Cleveland Indians and why that logo has long been retired, but uh, yeah, I don't. I just don't love the name that they chose. I think that they could have found a better option, but I don't know. I haven't really thrown out a better one that works. Like even Cleveland Rockers, like it, they can't because of the Rockies. So I would tell the Rockies to change their name. <laughs> yeah, you change your name. <laughs> Rock and roll music is more important to Cleveland. I think, than I think it'd be cool Denver. if they meant the World Series, the Rockers versus the Rockies. Rockers is the Rockies. Yeah. Well, hey, let's uh, think and say what we're saying right now. The Rockies in the World Series. Oh, uh, yeah, that, that'll probably never happen. For anytime yeah. soon, at least. Yeah, anytime um, soon. All right, question number four. <laughs> what is the dumbest injury you have ever suffered? Yeah, so I have two that come to mind. I'm not, I, I think one of them is dumber than the other, but I'll start off with the one that first came to mind, which I, I thought of. And uh, the only time I've ever broken a bone, so my junior year of high school, I was playing 
um, CYO basketball, so church, church league. And it was in practice and I was backpedaling and I somehow tripped and fell and landed horribly and broke my wrist. And my dad always would joke that I tripped over the three-point line. So it sounds dumb saying that. What do you mean tripped over the three-point line? That being said, backpedaling, it's like a normal thing to do. And, you know, I, I guess it, it it's not, I don't know if dumb is the right word. I think it's kind of unfortunate, like a stupid kind of injury. But, like, it's it's not really preventable. You know, I could have not backpedaled, which in the, the 10 years since then, whenever I play basketball, I'm always afraid to backpedal now. But I don't know if it's necessarily dumb for that reason, because it was just it was just a freak accident and it had a really unfortunate outcome. What I do think was dumb because it's preventable was my freshman year of college. My roommate had a moped and we were in a late chemistry class. It was from nine to ten fifteen, which is you know, that's a, a whole nother thing to get into. But we were in class and he got invited to go to a bowling alley the next town over for some kind of, you know, drink special, whatever. And he was like, I really want to go to that. But he didn't want to leave his moped outside at the, uh, you know, the science building. So he asked me to drive it home. I'd never ridden a motorized bike or scooter like that before. And I was very hesitant about it for that reason, but he was very convincing. And I was like, you know what? Fine, I'll do it. And I get on the bike and like, I'm like trying to figure it out. And I was like, oh no, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to control this thing. Like I'm going way too fast. And I took a turn just way faster than I should have. And I ended up taking it way too light and crashed into a wall, totally scraped up my knee. I still have a scar from it eight years later. And I think that's dumber because that's actually preventable. I should have been like, dude, just leave your moped here, like lock it or something, you know, find someone else at the very least. Like I should have just said no. And, uh, I think that's why that's the dumbest because it never should have happened. And looking back it, it, I feel like that was so preventable and I just, you know, so I, I have two that stand out and it's kind of the same with you where one of them is just more unfortunate than dumb while the other one yeah. I think is really dumb. The first one, uh, when I was in, when I was like I think fifth grade, 11 years old, uh, I was in a Cal Ripken league, baseball league for the Diamondbacks. And there was one game where I wasn't starting just because whatever, I mean, I, I was I was ten, I was usually a starter, but for this specific game, I wasn't. And so the first inning, I was playing catch with the right fielder, just war- we we're just warming up. And then so at once the inning was about to start, I'm walking back to the bench, and the shortstop throws as he's warming up. He throws the ball over the first baseman, and the and it goes over the first baseman and it hits me right in the eye, and I get knocked oh, out. No. And my eye is massive. I, you know Tony Canigliaro, right? Yeah. yeah it, lo- it looked like looks that like. kind of thing. His eyes was oh, much man. worse, but but I had. I a, mean, that ruined his career. I, yeah, so. I, yeah, it ruined his career and life and everything. And uh, mine was a big black guy, and I had to miss school for a little bit. And wow, uh, that that was that was just more unfortunate, just because. Yeah, like I got a black like, you eye. Think and, maybe like, I could have caught it. Yeah. But well, no, I wasn't even looking. Like, yeah, was, exactly. You weren't looking. Yeah. So and. I guess it's the thing is like, all right, I got a black guy in baseball. It's like, oh, what did you get hit by pitch? You, did a liner hit you in the face? Like, no, nah, some guy threw it over the first base and warming up and hit me in the <laughs> while yeah. while I'm walking back to the bench. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so it wasn't done. That was just more unfortunate than anything. And yeah, it, it 
it kind of sucked, but whatever. And but this this other one was definitely dumb. One time, uh, my family and I are about to go on a cruise to Mexico, and our our stop was in Alabama. Our for where we're leaving from is from Alabama, and we we're as before we we're about to drive off to Mobile, whatever the most south part is of Alabama is. Uh, we were in Birmingham or Montgomery or whatever, stopping by at a, a family's house to pick up people. And while we were there, a bunch of cousins, my cousins and I, we were in the front yard and we were, some of us were playing basketball or biking. And uh, when I borrowed a, a cousin's bike, as I was using it in the driveway, the the bike hit a, like a, a speed bump or, or not a speed bump, like a bump in the road. And that was enough for me to lose control of the bike and then for me to fall over and I got a really bad scrape on my knee. And it wasn't like a one where you could just put a simple Band-Aid and then whatever. It was actually like a big scrape and it was gushing blood. And this is hours before getting on a cruise. And (laughs) I I had to uh, get a huge bandage on it and I had to look at it for multiple days basically the entire cruise i had an injury that was bothering me the entire time and it was that, very very yeah, very preventable <laughs> so yeah. that was definitely really stupid and i had i had a hard time sleeping as well during the cruise because of how painful it was so that's yeah definitely- oh i mean so ours sound very similar you have an unfortunate but you know an unfortunate sports injury that probably wasn't preventable and then we <laughs> and both a have a biking injury that bike makes us look yeah. like idiots yeah yep do you still have a scar from it? No, I do still no, have a scar. No. Speaking of injuries that show, uh, that still show. Remember when we played flag football, right? Oh, and you got spiked. And in I wore the leg. spikes one game because yeah. they help. You spiked yourself. I spiked in the leg. myself. I mean, that's catching... another dumb injury. Yeah. yeah, but it's like it didn't hurt at all. But it, yeah. there was a lot of blood, and uh-huh. and it was definitely preventable if I just didn't wear spikes. But. I don't know. I wanted to win. I was a competitive and yeah. and I just took the second half won. off basically because we were up by yep. a lot. So it was whatever. It worked out. Yeah. Um All yeah, right. That's All it. right. Let's wrap it up with question 5. August 5th is National Underwear Day. Do you prefer boxers or briefs? Boxers. <laughs> Same. <laughs> no yeah, question. I've, I've always been a boxer I've, guy. Yeah. I, I do not like briefs at all. I will I I wore briefs. The last time I wore briefs, I think I was like in first grade. <laughs> I I've always worn oh, wow. I've worn boxers for as long as I can remember. I think the only yeah. time I would ever wear briefs if it's if it's boxer briefs. <laughs> yeah, even then like I'm not a big boxer brief guy. Like I tried getting into those um I don't know years ago and I was just I just didn't. I've always been a boxer guy. Yeah, I boxer I, I even though you're a little bit more <laughs> freebird <laughs> for lack of a better word. <laughs> yeah, I, I, for sure. I know uh, that but I don't care. Boxers They're more comfortable. They're way more I'm wearing boxers right now. <laughs> yeah, same. I mean, we're very much boxer yeah, guys, so I don't have much else to add because it's it's definitely <laughs> it was definitely an easy answer, easy choice for me. Yeah. Boxers. Oh, for sure. Yep. All right, that'll wrap up five questions and uh mostly wrap up the episode. I do now that we're at the end here, I do want to take uh a few minutes to rant about uh some of the stupid TV shows I watch, if that's okay. No, that's okay. So that's okay. the first one, um, High School Musical, the musical series. And 
I've talked about this on here. Olivia Rodrigo, like that's where she came from. Like I'm a huge fan of her, like OG fan, not just I discovered her on Spotify in January, but I discovered her (laughs) on that show back in 2019. So anyway, I really liked the show the first season when it came out. I think I loved the, the whole like Disney channel, but like not Disney channel where, you know, much more progressive, where like a little more adult, like some topics that were taboo when we grew up, all of a sudden they're not anymore on Disney plus. And I love that aspect of it. So season two comes around, and now that the novelty of that is kind of worn off, I'm like, okay, this show went from being ridiculous, but like in a fun, charming way, to just straight up ridiculous. And like, a, what what is even going on here? And I'm just I'm criticizing plot points of a kids show, and I'm just like, this is too much for me. But I was committed to finishing up the whole season. I ended up binging the last like four or five episodes over a course of last week because I didn't watch it all when I was up in New Hampshire and I, I was just catching up and I was like, all right, we're almost done and like, we'll be good. I, I'm just going to finish the season and then I'm done with it. And of course, season two ends on a triple cliffhanger because you have the uh, spoiler alerts right now. You know, I, I apologize. I should have said that sooner. If anyone, which I doubt anyone is listening, even watching the show anyway, but spoiler alert. So triple cliffhanger because you have the like couple that they were shipping, like will they, won't they ends with them running to kiss each other. And then it cuts away while also having uh, Livy Rodrigo's character on the phone with like a music producer. And then you have Josh Bassett's character who is like, you know, the guy that Olivia wrote her album about calling some other girl from a rival high school and it's like well now i'm sucked into season three whenever it comes out because i need to know how all that ended and i'll watch episode one and then i'll be sucked in for another full season and i'm just frustrated that i did that to myself but i keep watching it like i stopped watching iCarly after a few episodes because like okay this is trash i need to stop watching this before i get sucked into another stupid kid show that's right that that's yeah i mean i i mean i didn't even watch not the of, like the new icon. Yeah, not oh, the okay. Old I was one. gonna say like because that was yeah, the last the new one on Paramount Plus. That was the last T Nick show I ever watched, and I don't, well, I don't yeah, even the last I don't one even is know great. That's say why I, I wanted to give the new one a try. The thing is, I don't even know if I can say that because I only watched like the first season or two. I don't even because I obviously didn't watch every single episode of it. I I don't know. I watched every single yeah. episode of Drake and Josh, Zoe One Hundred and One, and Nancy Classified, but then iCarly was. I watched a little bit of it, but after that, it's like whatever came after that, it's like I never watched it. Yeah, I was the same way, and I should have left it at that. I should have not gone back. But yeah, anyway, I'm I'm sucked into High School Musical, the musical, the series for a full season, most likely at this point. Uh, yeah, so not happy about that. <laughs> um, and like even then, like how are they going to have a season three? Like, is Olivia Rodrigo still like small enough that she'll want to do this Disney Plus show? I feel like she's blown up to the point where she's like, no, I'm graduated I mean, from that. Ariana Grande was on Sam and Cat, and and Victorious, right? Yeah, yeah. And she got she's obviously really popular now. I mean, did she, I mean did she ever even re- she didn't return to that she, stuff? No, if that's she wouldn't. if that's There's even no a way. good comparison at all, like I, that was the first thing that came to mind. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's like it's tough because i feel like olivia rodrigo is just so young doing all this like the other like big disney stars they you know the shows are already done to that point and then they blew up as they became adults but she she's blowing up at 18 so i don't know um 
I'm frustrated with how that ended. I really just wanted to be done with it, and I just don't think that I can be done with it. Uh, first world problems here. Yeah, right. And then, uh, of course, The Bachelorette. Um, so the the season finale is coming up next week. Another one, spoilers, like this one, I think there's actually probably some people who do watch the show. And uh, this season, I've I've been such a big fan of it throughout. Like, normally, I'm not as big of a fan of The Bachelorette as I am The Bachelor because... What sounds better, 30 women and one dude or 30 men and one woman? Oh, 30 women and one dude. <laughs> exactly. Right, exactly. But I gave this season a try and I loved it. Like there's some really great guys on it. Yet the past few weeks, all the guys that I love kept getting sent home. I was a huge fan of so this one guy, um, Connor. He dressed up in a cat suit the first episode and Katie loved it because she's a big fan of cats. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, this is the kind of guy that I want to see be successful. Not like some of the other like douchebags that show up just for like, you know, the fame and like Instagram followers, but this genuine dude. And then there are a few others like that. So Andrew S, he's someone who he might be the next bachelor. I was shocked that Katie sent him home. I thought that they were great. She kept this one dude, Justin. I was like, I don't understand how he was more appealing than Andrew. But anyway, Andrew's gone. And then Michael A, 36-year-old, his wife died a few years ago. Like, this is his him, like, trying to find new love and, you know, a new mom for his four-year-old son. And his son had to ruin everything by saying on a FaceTime, oh, daddy doesn't want to see me anymore. So he quits with only four guys left. And he's arguably the favorite at this point. So that sucked. And then last night's episode was just ridiculous where – Greg, who got the first impression rose, he was the number one guy all season long. And, uh, you know, they have their hometown date. Like she meets his mom. She meets his uh, uh, like his brother and his best friend, like his sisters call in. The thing is, Katie and Greg have something huge in common and that both of them recently lost their dads. So that was like a kind of a big bonding point is that they both kind of understood that struggle. And Greg was just really emotional. And like, he's like confessing his love to Katie and, you know, pouring his heart out to her. And she just sits there and smiles and stares at him and like, doesn't really react or anything. And I'm like, okay, what's going on right now? And obviously Greg gets pissed about that, but then he like the show. So basically what Katie's thing is, I'm not going to say I love you to multiple guys, which seems fair, right? Like you're on a show dating 30 dudes. You're going to wait until the last one and be able to say, Hey, even though you watched me make out and go on dates with all these guys and I ultimately chose you, the one thing I can say to you that I only did with you is say, I love you. Seems fair. So I get that from Katie's perspective, why she wouldn't say that. But at the same time, now Greg is just like, he doesn't understand that or something. And like, I feel like she could have given him something more than she did other than just smiling and staring. And then Greg freaks out and he ends up just leaving, which I feel like was a huge overreaction. And I don't even know what to make of it. Now there's gonna be a three hour episode next week. And this one ended with a montage of all of Katie and Greg's moments. Like there's, there's no way that it doesn't end up somehow being Greg comes back and they end up engaged and in love and whatever in the end. But it's just it's just so frustrating how all this has played out because now we're going to have a three-hour episode. We're left with two dudes where it's like one of them joined the show mid-season. And if he ends up being chosen again, it's like, all right, why did we even bother with this season? Just let him DM her on Instagram like he did months ago and just let them do their own thing, not on camera. And then the other guy, Justin, where it's like they were the 
Like he was the first guy to kiss her, but other than that, all he does is like make funny reactions that are like memeable. But that that's all he does on the season. So I don't know. I'm frustrated with how everything's gonna play out. Like I really wanted it to be Michael A or even Andrew S. And like Greg was kind of like, all right, I guess like it makes sense for them. And now Greg's kind of gone off and soured himself. And like I don't even know like if that like after what happened, if that can really be salvageable. So. I don't know. I'm frustrated by the show. All I can say is I can't wait for David Spade and Bachelor in Paradise because I love that so much more. I'm just I'm excited to just get be done with the Bachelorette and just enjoy Paradise for a couple months. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> I know you don't watch it, but I wanted to. No, it's okay. I wanted to put in that rant. I can add it to the uh, the description, and maybe um, we'll get some uh, some people to tune in, and I'll have some people to talk about the Bachelorette with and uh, Bachelor in Paradise too. So. Anyway, thank you for uh, giving me this uh, platform for a little while. (laughs) Uh, Of course. So, all right, that will actually wrap up this episode. Um, We'll see you when we're back with another episode. I'm sure we'll have plenty more NFL stuff to talk about. That'll quickly become the focus as we, you know, get deeper into August and, of course, the start of the NFL season in September. So, for my co-host Brian Wells, I'm Corinne Novotny. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) 